This is a FUBAR Radio podcast. For more information, go to foobarradio.com. Nick Helm and Nathaniel Metcalf's fan club on FUBAR Radio. Hello, my name is Nick Helm. And my name is Nathaniel Metcalf. And this is Nick and... Nathaniel Metcalf's <laughs> uh, uh, fan club. Um, uh, first rule of fan club is... Uh, tell your friends about fan tell club. Uh, second rule of fan club is please... For the love of God, tell your friends about Fan Club. Uh, This is... uh, Is is it even worth... It's the summer, it's August. (laughs) Oh, the sun is beating... The summer is here. The sun is beating down on me in mighty Edinburgh. That's right, this is a pre-record. It's Thursday, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, sorry, it's Friday. It's it's Friday. We're live in uh, Edinburgh. In... The uh, the Royal Mile in Edinburgh. Um, free comedy at ten. Oh, that's another what guy that didn't want to come. Um, <laughs> so um, <laughs> uh, I won't tell you that story. I just realised. Well, uh, right, cause it because involves, it because it involves real people. Bad mouthing, colleagues. Sure. All right. Quite the bitch, aren't you, Nathaniel? <laughs> no, no um, it's more. It's more a story where you'd go. Oh, that's depressing. Well, what we could do is we could create a um, a gossip mongering uh, uh, celebrity kind of. Oh, I can't. I can't be bothered. I'm so tired. Me too. <laughs> Fucking, it's unbelievable. Um, but you know, good. What have you been up to this week, Nathaniel? Have you been? I've been working, and uh, um, I'm, what, what I think I try and do when I'm busy is. I sort of start going, well, I don't really need sleep, do I? <laughs> I'm trying to do things where you go, do you know what? If I actually just got up really early, I could do it then. That's and then I do. And then I go, I feel awful. <laughs> then the rest of the day, you're sort of like a zombie. If you keep doing it like regularly, you go, oh, I know I can get that done. I can get that done if I wake myself up at like uh, like six in the morning or something. <laughs> I think it's weird. I think on the... <laughs> on the uh, this is just like another... Third series of Uncle, I think I had about like three hours of sleep a night. I loved it. I could, you know, I'd jump out of bed every morning. Oh, really? Just because it was a nice place to go to work? It was, um, it was sunny. It was like this weather for, um, well, uh, the weather of Thursday the 5th? The 4th. July 4th. July the 4th, Independence. Uh, well, isn't <laughs> remember back on Independence Day? Yeah. On July the 96. 4th. No, this year. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, uh, but it was sunny. It was a lovely day, wasn't it? It was yeah. a lovely day. I seem to recall. It was like that for the entire shoot, and uh, yeah, it was gorgeous. Um, yeah, uh, but I had very little sleep because um, I'd get up in the morning and then you'd work all day, and then when you finished work, you were just energized and you felt like. And it wasn't dark and it wasn't winter, so you just want to go off and do stuff. So I'd do stuff, and then you know, um, and then it would be. Two o'clock in the morning, and you'd go to sleep, and then you wake up at five thirty and go to work. <laughs> but you like, can't uh, do that now. No, but it wasn't that long ago. It wasn't that long ago, but I don't have the motivation. <laughs> <laughs> you I, were like Michael J. Fox when he was filming Back to the Future and Family Ties. Yeah, except for instead of filming Family Ties, uh, I was drinking. <laughs> 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 um, but um, so, uh, but but. Um, uh, but at the moment, I'm writing, uh, you know, obviously, I'm writing 
next year's show because <laughs> uh, I'm in Edinburgh. Um, it doesn't matter. In the future, these are just all going to be a thing, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. So I'm writing my Edinburgh show at the moment and I'm finding it uh, really difficult. Um, so I'm writing songs at the moment. I've basically got three hours of material that's of a certain theme that once I've written all the songs can be tailored to sort of like create one piece, you know, one one hour. Uh, but I'm also going on tour, so I need an hour and a half really, but it's working out what half hour to cut out or what material to cut out and, you know, all of that stuff. Um, so, yeah, it's slightly... Um, so it's slightly kind of like uh, like Jenga, where you're kind of like taking bits out and hoping that it doesn't collapse. Yes. But also, I'm writing songs. But I have like previews almost every night. So it's not like oh, I'm writing a joke and I'll try the joke out tonight. It's kind of like you're writing a thing that's got lots of words to it and a tune, and then you, and it's like yeah, it's difficult. Anyway, I've been trying to write the songs this entire time. <laughs> it's not like being like I've left it to the last minute. I've been consistent, but they're all sort of coming together sort of now. Yeah, and um. And that's one of the things where you have... A, I, I, if I have a preview, or it's slightly... If I don't have anything to prepare for it, if I can just go up with notes, then I'm fine. I can literally just turn up to the venue with some notes and go up on stage. But if I have to prepare for it, I have, like, this uh, anxious meltdown where I'm just like, I don't know what to focus on in the day. And then it gets to the time when I have to leave the house for the gig, and then it's just like, right, it is what it is. Um, so you basically experience exactly the same thing if you just don't think about it. If I don't you get to, you get to just uh, go. Well, if you, if you don't prepare, you get to go up and go. It is what it is. And if you do prepare, you end up having the same thing at the end. Going, it is what it is. I think there's a point with that stuff where you get. Yeah, there is a point where you go. I usually have like a couple of hours before I do it or did a preview last year. I'd sort of be really relaxed because you go. Do you know what? It's not going to get any better now than it is you know it's almost like you try and do so much stuff that you kind of hit a point where you kind of the rest of it's just you sort of calm down and have a kind of do you know what it's going to be like this now I had like notes um, like like a, a few like a, lo a lot of notes like off cuts from shows that never made the cut and mm. stuff like that and um, uh, and, and kind of like stuff that's in my phone and I took them all up to Edinburgh a couple of years ago and uh, went on stage on day one with bits and pieces and by the, doing a work in progress and by the end of day four it was so daunting the thought of going on stage and struggling that I'd written the show in four days and then it was like and then I had a show mm. and then I did the show and it got better for the next two weeks but basically it took four days to write and then I improved it, and then I took it on tour, and it became like an hour and a half, and it was, you know, and it was, I was really, I really loved that show. Um, but I think that if I had a year to write it, it would take a year. Mm. I think that, it, you know, it depends what, it depends, I, I don't think it, yeah. it is, it is basically, as soon as, you, when you've got to put your pen, you know, I always think of it as like exams, and it's like pens down now, and it is what it is, but by the end of, yeah, by the I, end of your writing process, and it is like I think that like last year the show I did didn't come together probably till about four yeah four or five days in, and uh, but I'd also spent all this time where I really wanted to work on it properly, and I'd every time I'd done Edinburgh before I'd been working full time, and so I took 
So I, I quit my job last year in May so that I could basically try and concentrate on doing writing this show and trying to do it properly. And I still felt like uh, it was still like all those other shows where it comes together in the first four or five days of Edinburgh more than it. And you go, actually, whatever you do, even if you give yourself more time, you're still going to be there. You're going to get there in a room you've never done it before. And there's going to be other factors that you don't know. It's going to be different. Like every preview's in a different room. There's a slightly different atmosphere. And you have to kind of tailor it to that anyway. And then you just even then there was even lots of it where things that had been working really well in previews were not necessarily working really well in in Edinburgh but you, you, so suddenly you just have to whatever it is a slightly different audience or something that you might be talking about something I don't think anything else was particularly London centric but maybe it was and people were like don't really know what that is here or something but like for whatever reason like everything that was going really well in previews might not necessarily work and then you had to tailor it as you were, as you were going I think the majority of previews are a waste of time I be, think they kind of are because <laughs> they're, they're good for you because they're reassuring and they make you feel good. But basically, you spend all your days writing previews. Hmm. You know, I've got a preview tonight. So you're not writing the show that you need to write in August. You're writing the show that's... For tonight. Yeah, for tonight. So you don't look like an arsehole in front of everyone. Hmm. And in actual fact, it's useless. And I think that what I got into the... What I got into the... Not mentality. I got into the... Because, uh, you know, as, as a performer, um, you sort of like... Your instincts are to not to survive when you're on stage and you, you have to almost kind of like circumnavigate those instincts and allow yourself to die on your ass because you're trying something new as opposed to just trying to survive the circumstances of the room yeah um, and also <laughs> there were so many previews and uh, you know you do some gigs in front of uh you can smash a you can smash a preview in front of like 70, 60, 70 people uh, using the same material that you used in front of four people that you absolutely yeah <laughs> absolutely decided that night. Well, I'm not using any of that now. Yeah, but you haven't had time to write anything, so yeah. you do it again in front of the six, and then it works. And it's just like I don't know how you're meant to. You just have to have faith in the fact that like, people are going to turn up in Edinburgh. Yeah, and that's that's like stand up in in general is that it works by in general we're basically doing very similar performances lots of times, and yet sometimes people will be like, "What the fuck is this?" And some people sometimes are going, "I love this." And it's just it is just the makeup of who happens to be in the audience that makes a difference. Yeah. It's like you know, I did this last night and it didn't go like this. But, <laughs> like, but, but more specifically with me, I know that what I'm doing at the moment is not anything like what the final show is. Exactly. So it's kind of like you go, I don't really want people to like this. Yeah. Because it's not going to be this. I don't want to go, oh, well, what if it had been that? Because <laughs> I could do an hour of just talking. You know, you saw me at Mac a couple of months yes, ago. Yeah, yeah. And that went fine. Yeah. Um, and if I'd have just sort of, like, taken that up yeah, to Edinburgh yeah. the next day, it would have been, been all right in four days. In four days, I'd have known it, and it would have been, like, it would have been you know. But I'm not doing that. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like, that's like my temporary show. That's my placeholder show while I write all of the bits and pieces. And it's kind of like... I don't know. Anyway. I remember doing a, a preview with Chris Boyd in 2014. He voted an hour each. But the audience were a couple. And each it was a couple 
plus either me or Chris Boyd, depending on who was on stage. It sort of going, <laughs> and I remember going, well, do you know what? You get through it, and at the end of it, you go, I mean, well, that's probably good practice, isn't it, for that time when two people turn up in Edinburgh, and you go, that doesn't happen, though. It is, there is an audience in Edinburgh. <laughs> and you're doing these shows where you're kind of like, sort of trying to do a show through gritted teeth to like two people in an audience who are just like, and trying to get like, so even if they're enjoying it and encouraging and laughing, you're going, it is just sounding like two people going, <laughs> and you're sort of going, yes, the next bit is this bit. <laughs> and you do that for an hour and it's horrendous and you're probably like just sweating for an hour. And then at the end of it, you go, well, it's good practice, isn't it? And each thing, no, it isn't. There's no relationship to what happens in Edinburgh. I'm I'm quite happy to perform in front of two people for an, for an hour. I don't mind um, if that if that's what they want. Give them the option. But like, if that's, <laughs> go, that's fine. That's fine. But that hasn't happened in years. <laughs> Just to say. But do you remember that time? Not in Edinburgh. Do you remember that time I'd. Um, I was previewing This Means War down at the Hen and Chickens. Yes, yes, and, yes. And uh, there was you and someone else in the audience. <laughs> you were with someone, and then there was two other people in the audience. Yeah. And I'd just done eight out of ten cats for the first <laughs> time, or I'd just done eight out of ten cats. Okay. You've made it. I think it was on. I think it was maybe a Monday night preview, and eight out of ten cats had been on on a Friday and came out on stage and I knew you and whoever you were with <laughs> and uh, I said why are you two here to the other two and they said oh we saw you on a yeah, 10 cats and you go fucking hell the telly works doesn't it it's doubled my audience it's incredible um, but so so I so I get really stressed out before preview so I'm at the moment going oh do you know what um, uh, I've uh, I'll do as much as I can before the preview. I'll do the preview, and then I'll just stay up all night, and I'll finish the, the song, or I'll write a song tonight. And then it'll get to the night, and I'll be like, oh, I'm so relieved that <laughs> the preview went all right. <laughs> and now I'm in a bar, and I'm like, oh. And, uh, and, um, and then I'll go home, and then I'll you know, uh, go to bed, and I'll be, t- I'll be tired, and I'll go to bed, and then I'll go, but I'll wake up really early, and then I won't. <laughs> and then it's just, it's, it's just this never-ending nightmare of thinking that, you've got, that, that you'll do it later, putting stuff off. Really, if this is anything, this is like any sort of... Um, a moral <laughs> lesson to be learned. It's uh, guys, don't put off today. Oh no, hang on. Don't put off today what you can do tomorrow. <laughs> <What's> <laughs> that? That's not the thing. It's uh, uh, live life in the moment. Uh, well, it's not that either, is it? It is saying try and do stuff now. But that's do it, it now. isn't it? It just adds to your stress by not doing things. It just, you know, do it now, I guess, is the answer. Yeah. I mean, uh, but what, equally, if you're having a nice time, you go, this is the first time I've had a nice time in weeks. Can I just extend the nice time for a little bit? Yeah, as soon as you... I mean, I used to I used to say coming off stage, when I came off stage, um, that was my favourite... That was my favourite moment of yeah. coming off stage because it was the furthest away from doing another gig. Yeah, and you've relaxed and I would done get, it. I would get so nervous. Um, but uh, And I think that's probably the relief of coming off from a preview. It's so... Stri- it's, um, it's like there's all this build-up. Hmm. all day of tension nervous energy then you do the gig and then afterwards you're just like oh god oh thank god and then it's like the the first time all day that you feel I don't know I suppose I'm I'm, I'm, honestly if it was just literally doing notes I love work in progress me too I I love the process of doing absolutely no pressure whatsoever and I'm actually finding it difficult saying goodbye to little bits of material that I really like 
that I know I won't remember by the end of Edinburgh. Mm. So it's kind of like one of those things. But yes, I know what you mean. I have very little sleep and just sort of like uh, worry. I'll tell you what, there's nothing like an Edinburgh show to get you to do your laundry. <laughs> I've been, I've tidied my flat. I've like done the washing up. Uh, do you know what I did yesterday? I rinsed out a bin. <laughs> I took my. Uh, it's good me's doing that. We've got these, we've got these uh, rubbish chutes with uh, that we put our black bin bags down in um, in my flat where I live, and um, uh, yeah, I took my rubbish out, and there was all sort of like bin juice at the bottom of the thing. So I washed my bin out. Uh, I found a plant in my uh, house that was dying, so I watered that <laughs> to put it on the windowsill so it got some sunlight. Oh, yes, I've been busy. <laughs> Don't worry about that. Um, I wrote, actually, to be fair, I gave myself a thing. To, I, I had four previews in a row, um, and my thing was to write a song a day for the previews, and I have written two songs and two half songs. So I didn't quite make it, but I've, I've, mm. I've, my show is 50% more written than it was the week before, so it's all right. Um, but of course, when this is airing, it'll be, it'll be interesting, people listening to this will go, wow, there was a time on the 4th of July 2019 when Nick Helm didn't have a show, and now he's got one. And now? In August. How, how did it... How did it get worse? <laughs> How did it get less than no show? Um, yeah, right, well. Um, have you, uh, you haven't seen anything this week, have you? Because you've been busy. What is, tell us about your, what is your job? Well, oh, well, I do. Uh, you work at a cinema. Work at a cinema. But you don't get any time to watch. This is like busman's. Well, no, I do. It's be careful what you wish for, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of that where you kind of, um, I do sort of like when I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing lots of hours there currently because there's lots of people off for, um, and there's someone, we, we, we sort of expect a new member of staff and there's people on holiday. And so I'm just sort of covering hours for people. But it just sort of leaves me very little time. And because it can be, often you're sort of finishing late because you're... Well, you cinemas, know, cinemas close, close late. I always hate it when cinemas close and they're sort of like rushing you out. And you're just like, all right. You're the one that sold us the tickets. You knew what time to film it. So I've got very little sympathy for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I, I just, you know, I mean, I don't know. Uh, just like lots of little things where I think I'm very bad at saying no to things. So like just while it's going on, I can't. Um, um, like if someone says, oh, do you want to do this? I go, yeah. But I don't really think about whether whether I should do it or whether I'm going to be too exhausted. <laughs> or um, And then when I do have a day off or I sort of, or an evening off, I try and go, I really want to do something because I've been busy. Whereas what, what I should be doing is just essentially just lying on my bed and trying to, uh, to get back to normal. Mm. I feel like I've been very grumpy this week as well. And I like, don't like it. Been quite... Um, I see you know quite like I feel kind of quite short tempered and I feel like my attitudes to things are a bit like um, I feel like I need some perspective on some stuff because some things are just like I've had enough of this sure you need a holiday yeah I think I need a holiday when's the last time you went on holiday I don't know 2007 <laughs> <laughs> tell you what 
tell you what, take some of that money from your job <laughs> yeah. and go on holiday. Yeah. I don't really have enough. <laughs> no, I'll save some money. People, yeah. you, so, you know, I'm going to go to Edinburgh and I'm not doing a show. Oh, mate, that's not a fucking holiday. Are you fucking mental? Edinburgh, it's the worst place you can go. <laughs> if, a, if you're not, you know, although you're different, but like, if you're not doing a show and then surrounded by, I mean, no one's, it's not a, it's not a calm environment to be in. No. Surrounded by those people. The worst people. The worst people on the planet. <laughs> Everyone is mentally ill. <laughs> yeah. And this is the most mentally ill they are of all the year. <laughs> Surrounded by, oh, I just thought I'd come out, hang out with my friends. <laughs> I remember I was with uh, <laughs> Sean Walsh in Edinburgh. And... Uh, uh, and it was like the long month and then he had some friends that were doing a show for the last week and they showed up wearing hats with their flyers stuck in and they turned up and they said hello how's it going for the energy and Sean was just like fuck off <laughs> <laughs> they came straight off the train I remember <laughs> turning up fuck off I did gr- I came up from Green Man one year I did Green Man Festival which is on the same time as Edinburgh and so I sort of treated it like, well, I'm going to do that. So then I'm going to go off to Edinburgh from Green Man. I'm going to. Uh, so I did that. And when I got there, so it's, it's sort of, I think it was, it happened to fall like the last weekend in Edinburgh or quite close to the end. And I turned up and I'd see people and I was sort of doing odd gigs up there as well. And I'd turn up and people would show up and I'd look at people that you'd see throughout the rest of the year. But it was like everyone had contracted like, um, like, a, like the uh, disease from Outbreak. They were all sort of like crumpled people. So I'd see people and go, are you all right? And they'd be like, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> and I'd be looking at them and they would be like these kind of red-eyed kind of like, uh, like they, they looked like they were melting. They looked like characters in films that are like carrying a massive disease that they're going to spread. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it was just this like, you'd be like, and then you'd see something and go, oh, that's all right. And you'd think, that's weird. They look really ill. And then you'd, you'd realise that's what it was like for a week. You just bump into these people who've been there all month, and you'd be like, "You're okay," and they were like, "Yeah, I'm fine." But it just this kind of like sort of always with a sort of damp sort of sweat on, and yeah. kind of like I call it corpse sweat. <laughs> yeah, you have this yeah, sort yeah. of like it's when you're not hot, you're just clammy all the time from being in Edinburgh. It's like this corpse sweat. That I think I like said that with sort of energy of just being like, "Yeah, I just did a really nice gig in Green Man, and I've just come here." <laughs> See how everyone is. See, go and see some things, and everyone is just sort of, yeah, yeah. Just, there's nothing for you. <laughs> Turn around and go back home. Just run, <laughs> run. Um. <laughs> um, I learned a thing today, uh, this week. I learned a thing this week. Now the film, Diamonds Are Forever. Oh yeah, is that is that the last Sean Connery one, or yeah, is that? It's the it's the one basically where he left. Uh, well, he left. They tried to get Roger Moore. Yes. Uh, Roger Moore couldn't do, what was the film? On Her Majesty's Secret Service. On Majesty's Secret Service, so they got George Lazenby. <laughs> uh, I mean, he was a dick, right? Yeah. Well, actually, I, like, that film I watched a couple of Christmases ago, and I really liked it. Yeah, and it's not that no, bad in it, it's no, no, just no. that he uh, was... No, the, the film, by all accounts... Uh, People used to regard it as the best, if not if not the best, one of the better ones. Yeah. 
Um, uh, and they were like, yeah, you can kind of like look around George Lazenby. It would have been better if it had been Sean Connery, but you can kind of look around. Uh, George Lazenby's not the greatest, but the film is really proper good. It's, you know, it's got like emotional wallop to it. And it's like, um, I don't think I've ever seen it because I. I just can't be bothered to watch well, something. It's a weird one because it feels like real. I can't be bothered to invest in a guy that I know only turned up <laughs> for the job once. Um, uh, it, it feels quite archetypal as well. It feels quite. It almost feels like the one you remember from when you were a kid. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's all in this one. I don't remember it being George Lazenby. It's the one with Telly Savalas as Blofeld, and it just it feels seems really like. like perfect casting. Yeah, and you go like. Yeah, this seems like... It's sort of who it is in my head all the time. Mm. And yet it's like, is this the one with George Lazenby there? And it has all these bits. It has, like, good, like, jokes in it and quite, like, um, like sort of good sort of double entendres. And it's quite, actually, the jokes are double funny. Double-o-tendres. <laughs> That's one of them. Um, it's just, you know, it's just... It, you know, it's just quite a good... Where you go, it's funny, it's got good kind of sort of stunts. And the jokes really work. And they're like, that is quite funny. Uh, and very sort of James Bondy, and I guess he's a bit like he's quite hard in it, which it's quite sort of shocking. So I think he's, I think he's a lot younger than Connery, and I think his background was like sort of fighting or something. I think he was like a sort of he's, judo and karate and stuff. So when he's having fights, it does look like he's like it, it, it does feel much sort of quite as the modern films are a bit more like it looks like he's really like punching people isn't he wasn't he like an athlete that's right I think he is he was was an Olympian athlete or something from Australia yeah and then they cast him as Bond I don't know anything about George Lazenby no I I haven't invested the time I just know that he's also in Kentucky Fried Movie as a cameo and (laughs) and that's it but um, uh, yeah but he was uh, so he's as fine as Bond apparently And it's one of the better Bonds. And I think they would have had him back, didn't they? Ask him back. But he was such. <laughs> but he was a dick about it. And then they were like, "Fine." Um, and he wasn't even their first choice. So they wanted Roger Moore. Yeah. Um, and then um, uh, I watched this documentary about Live and Let Die, uh, and Yafit Koto was on it because he was in Live and Let Die, and he's quite a hard guy. Um, uh, Yafit Koto um, yeah I think he's kind of like he's got a reputation for being quite um, I think he came from like sort of theatre didn't he so he was quite a serious like actor at the time as well and I think was kind of up for doing a James Bond film but was a bit like yeah but I want it like I'm going to try and do it proper like I'm going to do it like proper a proper part I'm not going to be like a cartoon villain or something yeah sure and actually I really respect that Mm. because if you look at someone like Stephen Burkhoff who turns up (laughs) in What's he in? Rambo 2. You know, we used to we used to joke in drama class about it. Well, I, my drama teacher used to fucking absolutely love Stephen Burkhoff. And, uh, <laughs> and I'd be like, yeah, he's great. I love Stephen Burkhoff too. He's great in Rambo 2. <laughs> Beverly Hills Cop. Fair game with Cindy Crawford. <laughs> he's, he's incredible. I, I met him once. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I introduced him... <laughs> Uh, 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 he was doing a show in, in Edinburgh and there was like a showcase thing and I was hosting it and I think I introduced him as uh, my best friend and soon to be yours Mr. Stephen Burkhoff and he walked on like 
who the fuck are you? <laughs> like, he had no, because we hadn't met. But, uh, <laughs> she used to be like, he was like an old mate. <laughs> me and Steve go, me and this guy go way back. Stevie B. Stevie, Stevie B. <laughs> I he, know him as Stephen. As he walked out, he was just like, <laughs> I know him as Stevie B. But you'll know him. Uh, and no, because people would not, they'd think I was talking about Steve Bennett. Um, the other force to be reckoned with. <laughs> um, so uh, uh, we were Stephen Burkhoff, Stephen Burkhoff, Yafit Koto, Yafit Koto, he, um, Yafit Koto. I think it was the Alien premiere, the the, the royal, the royal premiere. Oh yes, yeah, and I know this story. Did yeah. you meet Prince Charles? Yeah. And when he met Prince Charles, he said, uh, "Me and you are related." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and Prince Charles was like, uh, "What do you mean?" And he goes, "You know, when." Uh, uh, your ancestors were in Africa stealing the slaves. They had sex with my ancestors, and we related. But apparently, there is some actual. Um, you, I think that has been traced back, and there is some like weird royal lineage with Yafet Koto. I'm sure it is, but it's a, uh, that was his opening gambit oh, yeah, with Prince yeah. Charles. At the oh, premiere. I love that. Now. I, I love think that's that great. Stuff. You think what a cool dude. Um, and also just to put someone on the back foot who's yeah, exactly. so used to being yeah, like. Uh, but it's like it's a it's a it's a premiere for yeah. your film, and you basically go go yeah. in really hard on him, and it's like fucking. Hell. Anyway, he's in this interview with uh, about um, uh, live and let die, and he is lovely. He is just basically going on and on and on about how hard it was for Roger Moore to step in someone else's shoes and how natural it was. Just like he's just gushing, and uh, yeah, it's just it's just quite sweet uh, because he's uh, in my mind the Africa is quite a, like a intimidating, intimidating, difficult man. But um, uh, yeah, he just came across really nice. Anyway, so I was watching this thing. Um, uh, yeah, so that, so uh, George Lazenby did that one, and then Sean Connery came back to do Diamonds Are Forever. They paid him loads of money. We talked about it a couple of months ago. Um, they got him back to do uh, Diamonds Are Forever. They paid him loads of money, and they promised they'd make three films that he wanted to make. But one of them fell through because it was uh, Macbeth, and Roman Polanski made Macbeth at the same time. But Sean Connery and Macbeth was on the cards at one point. Anyway, um, it's the bit in Diamonds Are Forever where the car goes uh, into an alleyway he drives the car into an alleyway by going on two wheels right right and if it goes <laughs> so the car goes on two wheels get and you and the it's a stunt it's a practical stunt so there's some stunt drivers in Do you mean car. it's not on wheels it's sliding down sideways uh so it's it's uh so the car is driving and it goes into an alleyway that's too narrow for it so so the stunt driver gets it on its left wheels. Okay, yeah. Right? Yeah. So, it, so it drives on its side, on its left wheels, through the alleyway, right? And then they film the other side of the alleyway. And when you watch it in the film, the car is now on the right-hand <laughs> side, right? Yeah. And it's in an alley. So it goes into the alleyway on the left wheels and comes out of the alleyway on the right wheels. And what happened was uh, there was one stunt crew that filmed the first half of the shot. And then months later... <coughs> Bless you. Thank you. Sorry. And then months later, there was another stunt crew <laughs> and a, di- a t- different team uh, that did the uh, that did the the reverse other, the shot. reverse shot, and um, and then they put it together in the edit. And it was only when they'd edited it <laughs> that they realised what they'd done, uh, and they were like, "Oh, it doesn't match." And everyone was just like, "Guys, it doesn't match." So they got a um, so basically, there's a shot in the film. <laughs> It's a shot in the film where they've basically uh, 
they just it's a close-up of Sean Connery <laughs> and they just felt I think what they did was they filmed them in they filmed them in the car and they got the camera and the camera was filming them as if the car was on its side and then they just do they add in this bump sound effect <laughs> and the camera <laughs> moves the other way and the implications being halfway through the alley <laughs> just with the camera trick they just the, the camera swaps sides it's actually quite clever because I just think it probably tricks the eye doesn't it into making yeah I think wouldn't it have just been easier to reverse that's the what I was about to say you would just flip the film wouldn't you I don't know why they wouldn't have done that but they were also so they also watched this thing this man with the golden gun where they did that stunt where the car uh, drives off one ramp and it flips all the way around and then oh, it yeah, lands yeah, yeah. and they did it and they were all like saying it looked so good that the director was like could you do it again and not make it look so good you mean it looked too like neat like it was easy it looked it looked yeah it looked perfect and they were like, and the stunt the stunt driver was like fuck off I'm not doing, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not doing that again because <laughs> presumably you have to do it probably at such speed that you know it, like that's why it's going to look quite perfect because it is just error dynamics or whatever yeah like you watch the stunt and it's incredible and they all go uh, and everyone's going how incredible the stunt was and how amazing the stunt was and how perfect the stunt looked and when you watch it still today to think that they actually did that you mm. go that is a perfect stunt somewhat ruined by the fact that uh, they add a sound effect over it going Ooh, <laughs> on a slide whistle, and you go, "Why have you done that? Why, you know, you've ad- you, it's such a cool, it's such a cool stunt, and you've you've added the least cool." Yeah, and actually, what you probably should do is you should probably just drop the sound out completely. It's like drop the sound out, so you can just slow it down, and just have this like, and then you would get you go, "Jesus, how have you done that?" And make it actually tell the audience. This is this is a this is for real. But they mask how good it is yeah. by making it into this rubbish joke. <laughs> so carry on sound it's effects. Ru- it's like it, I, I always thought that that was, and I'd never really appreciated how good the stunt was until I watched this thing. Um, anyway, we'll play a song and then we'll come back. Nick Helm and Nathaniel the Hun Metcalf on Subar Radio. <laughs> um, we don't have any uh, fan mail this week. Uh, we don't have uh, we don't have fans any this fans week. this week. We don't have any reviews this week. Um, uh, it's a lonely old week. Um, have you, oh right, I know what I was going to do. So I've got here some Levi Roots, <laughs> Caribbean crash, Caribbean, Caribbean crash. That's what I, I say, Caribbean. So they um, say in America, because I am uh, a wank <laughs> Caribbean, and um, I've got myself here a lilt. Mm-hmm. Uh, Car- Caribbean crush with grapefruit, mango, and pineapple. Juicy pineapple. I apologise, Levi. And uh, got the totally tropical taste. What's in that lilt? What? What? what how? How much? Just pineapple and grapefruit. Oh yeah, of course. So Levi's added a bit of mango. But um, just to uh, just to prove that, ah, oh, lovely! That uh, Levi Roots is the premium product of a ca- Caribbean soft drink. Uh, I'm going to do a, a, a taste test. Going to make you do a taste test now to uh, see. It's a bit like the uh, if it, for for the listeners at home <laughs> or out and about on a bus. 
<laughs> for the listeners on on a bus um, <laughs> uh, this is very much like the scene from the princess bride uh, where one of the mugs is poisoned <laughs> Is it also poisoned? Oh, no. Okay, so I can't see which is which. Do you know which is which now? Yeah. Right. Nick is hovering him about close to his genitals. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so I can't it, see. So I can't it, see which what, is which. What gives it a uh, Caribbean twist? <laughs> I think this one's got some added mango in it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's my first one. Okay. I'm taking from the first glass. Can you tell the difference? I like that, but I think. Hang on. Oh, um, okay. Glass number one. I've had a taste, mm-hmm. and my gut instinct says lilt. It's mm-hmm. tasty. Uh, it's refreshing. But it's I warm, though, isn't it? They're both warm because yeah. I got them from the shop over the road, and he doesn't use refrigeration. <laughs> he, he just, yeah, just has a, there is a fridge looking thing though is there? it's just got a light on <coughs> they're just uh, not very cold I think mm. I think I prefer number my, two the second one why, the second why, one. why do you prefer the second one I think it's just got a bit more I'd say this has got a crisp number one is quite a crisp taste mm. whereas I think um, uh, the second one is more kind of I guess it's slightly more, it's slightly sweeter. They're quite, they are quite similar drinks, more than I was imagining. Mm. But I think it's got the edge on it. I think mm. I prefer number two. Would you be surprised if I were to tell you that number one was Caribbean Crush? I would be. Yeah, well, that's because it's not. It's uh, number right. two is clearly Caribbean <laughs> Crush. Lil is for uh, losers. <laughs> <laughs> and Levi Roots Caribbean Crush is the premium drink to uh, big. Um, if, if all the Caribbean drinks out there, mm. if I was a pirate, if the, I wouldn't truly be of the Caribbean Caribbean drink unless I lilt. was drinking a li- if I was drinking a lilt, I'd be pirate. Yeah, Jeffrey I'd be Rush a, would probably drink a I'd lilt. I'd be a pirate of the tropics because <laughs> it's totally tropical. Tropical, but Caribbean Caribbean Crush it's more tropical, more Even tropical, more Caribbean. 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 Pirates of the Caribbean. Let's get Levi Roots on. Yep. Yes, that's happening. Yes. Gonna have. Uh, so, uh, which. Uh, do you want one of these? Yeah, right. Which one do you want? Can I have Caribbean Crush? You can have the Lil. <laughs> Thanks. I'm not giving up my Caribbean hit. <laughs> <laughs> hit of Caribbean sunshine for anyone oh sorry I needed to <laughs> just come from piss in the corner of the room it's fizzy isn't it Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh. what have you been drinking oh, oh. fucking hell that juice it's, ju- it's the juicy the pineapple is juicy I think it's juicier in Caribbean crush than there's in Lil. Yeah. Is there any more Lil in your can? No. I didn't taste any Lil. I don't need to. I know what I know. Do you know what? Having that as well after a Caribbean crush, I am like, this is worse. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it does feel like you're just drinking something inferior now. Yeah, of course it is. Um, oh. I mean, the, I know this feels like we are not sponsored by Caribbean crush. We're open to the idea, though. 
if, uh, I, if I, I, I wants to give me some money. I've drank enough. I've drank enough Pepsi and Coca-Cola products in my time. Oh yeah, but this Levi Roots Caribbean Crush is absolutely second to none. And I've only just understood what that phrase means, just in saying it then. Hang on, I don't know if I've got it yet. Oh yeah, the, yes, yes, it's second to no one, you mean, doesn't it? Uh, the, fra- the phrase is second to none, hmm. not second to no one. Anyway, uneasy lies the head that wears a crown. Oh, that's very deep. <laughs> Thanks, I just thought of it. Uh, I might uh, put it in my show. I imagine that's what... Um, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> imagine that's how Levi Roots feels. Why is it called Lilt? Lilt is a product of the Coca-Cola company. Yeah, Lilt's Coca-Cola. Mm. What's the Pepsi equivalent? Britvic, I think, and the Pepsi products, I believe. Yeah, but the but they always sort of like have a co- yeah have a yeah yeah comparable. So Sprite Seven Up. Yeah, Sprite Seven Up. Tango, Tango Fanta. Fanta. Uh, Coke, Pepsi. Oh yeah, I never thought about that. <laughs> Actually, now you mention it, they are quite They're similar. They're quite similar drinks. Yeah, it's weird that Coke is uh, so popular. Don't you think? It's like a standard soft drink that you get anywhere. Mm. Like it's weird that it's so popular. Don't you think? Why is it so popular? Coca Cola. Mm. I think it's delicious. It's my favourite thing. Well, my obviously Pepsi Max Cherry. It's my absolute favourite. What do you mean? You're, you're, you're interested why a cola has basically cornered the market in yeah. soft drink? Yeah. Well, I, always, I, do, well, I mean, we talk about it quite a lot. Um, to the point where people start mentioning that, oh, it's not fan club without fizzy drinks. But you go, oh, it's almost sad. <laughs> but remember, like a few months ago, we were, talk, we were trying to find banana soft drinks. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Unless that was a pre-record. Maybe that's happened yet. <laughs> Um, in the future but there was like but like I was like why aren't there more mint soft drinks I still think it's weird that there aren't mint soft drinks but in my head I think that sounds weird (laughs) (laughs) nah it's not weird I um we were having some problems uh this week with um that all seem to be fixed now where there's lots of people asking us that the there, there was some sort of problem with iTunes, wasn't there? And people weren't able to download it. Oh, I don't know I about any of that. I don't. I'm, I'm not listening to the show back, and um, uh, I don't. I don't know how iTunes works. Um, and I was trying to figure it out, but then I realised that I'd. I was trying to find it. One of the ones that would come up was the Jack Barry episode, and then I was listening to another podcast, and then it started playing a fan club, and I was going, "What, what fan club is this?" And then I realised after a couple of minutes it was the first ever one, and I thought, oh, this will be interesting because I bet it's really different. Now. Jack Barry. With Jack Barry, and I listened to it this morning for about two minutes, when I was slightly confused as to like, was this last week? I don't remember this. Um, and then realised it was that one from over a year ago, and I thought, oh, it's going to be so much. It's going to be so different than it is now, isn't it? And it's about five minutes going. No, this could just be like last week's. Is that exactly the same? <laughs> exactly the same. Right. So, um, uh, I'm almost disappointed that you haven't asked me what I've been a fan of. This well, I was just week. about to. I was just enjoying a lilt. It's terrible that you. Uh, what have you, you been a fan of, of this week? Nick? Uh, right. Well, not necessarily this week, but over the last. Um, Maybe like. So, uh, what were you a big fan of, like, say, six weeks ago? Something like that. But what are you watching? What are you watching then? Over the last few weeks, I've accidentally uh, had a uh, Dustin Hoffman marathon. Marathon man. Uh, 
uh, you know, that wasn't even deliberate, but yeah, I watched. Um, well, because the thing is, Nat, even though I was very tired, I knew that we were doing a recording today, so I forced myself to stay up and watch a film. Right, good for you. So, no, bad for me, because <laughs> I went to bed at three o'clock in the morning and I got up six hours later to come here. Right? So, <laughs> um, so I watched Marathon Man last night. Yeah. Uh, which was made in 1976. Yes. It stars Dustin Hoffman and Roy Scheider. Yeah. And so it was one year after Roy Scheider made Jaws. Yes. He is fair. He, he looks a lot younger in Marathon Man because he's playing uh, Dustin Hoffman's older brother. Mm. So it, how old was Roy Scheider when he made Jaws? I always thought he was like mid 40s, like mm. he was like a dad. And when you see Marathon Man, you think, oh, no, he's probably in his, like, early to mid-30s. Yeah, yeah. But, like, in, Ma in Jaws, I always thought that Roy Scheider was, like... Yeah. I think people do, you do sort of assume everyone's older, don't you, in those... Especially, I think, because, like, Jaws is a film that was, you know, it was out before I was born, so you kind of grow up with it. So Roy Scheider always feels like he's kind of it's a whole, an older person. Yeah, but then again, Jaws was 75... And then 15 years later, he was very old doing Sequest DSV. Mm. So he must have been in his mid-40s, maybe. I think there was that funny time after Jaws where Roy Scheider is actually like... No, but 15 years later, he would have been... If he was 35, 15 years later, he would have been 50. So if he was 45, he wasn't 60 when he made Sequest. Although that's... 20 years after Jaws, isn't it? Sequest. It'll be 2095-ish. Uh, well, that's what I'm, I'm thinking. It was like maybe about 91, 92. Maybe it was. Uh, could we could we look up uh, Roy Scheider on the thing? Roy Scheider. Roy Scheider, Rod Steiger. Maria Schreiber. And Rob. Schneider. Schneider. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, so I watched Marathon Man. I uh, watched Tootsie. And I watched probably Dustin Hoffman's best film, uh, Little Fockers. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, God, Tootsie's a good film, isn't it? It's fine. Oh, really? I really? I love it. Bill Murray's in it a lot more than I thought he was. And he's great in it. I yeah. think that's a real, like, uh, a real proper Bill Murray part that feels like it's got some sort of edge to it. It feels like a proper uh sort of acting he one it feels like a sort of slightly more modern bill murray part for the era yeah he looks um well he's very polished in it and it's kind of like he's acting opposite dustin hoffman and um yeah and he's really he's really good in it um but yeah uh yeah yeah it is good it is good um uh dustin hoffman as tootsie is uh fit <laughs> just just saying uh, and Little Fockers have you ever seen Little Fockers no I haven't it's weird isn't it Meet the Parents was a legitimately good film I think when it came out yeah I in, remember enjoying it what year did it come out 1999 2000 Ooh, uh, maybe yeah something like that 2001 I'm going to say 2001 um, and and uh, what year was Sequest DSV with Roy Scheider? Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I think Meet, Meet the Parents was a little. I thought 
Meet the Fockers, when I saw that at the cinema when it came out, I thought that that film was so bad. I, I mean, I really didn't enjoy it at all on any level. Uh, which was, because I really, really, 1993, so it was 18 years after Jaws. So how old was Roy Scheider when he made Jaws? What year was he born? What year was Roy Scheider born? What year was Roy <laughs> Scheider? <laughs> I don't know why I'm talking. Here's the thing that I always think about. I saw, it was Little Fockers, is it on Netflix or something? I've seen something of it recently. I've yeah, it's just, I think it. it may have just come up on Netflix. Because it's funny how, like, when you think of, like, the music industry, there are a few people bigger than Barbara Streisand. Hmm. And yet you think in that film, she's like, what, fourth or fifth? lead mm. and you think it's sort of weird isn't it that someone like that who's so massive in the world of music and feels so kind of slightly untouchable when she's not huge. in it she's not in it much she, she doesn't deserve to be higher up on the cast list no but it still makes you think like it's funny that Barbara Streisand in the world of music is like such a massive star and yet in the world of movies she's like fourth fourth lead no, no. Barbara Streisand is is um, is a huge star in movies. Then why, why is she so? It just feels like she's why huge. is she doing Little Fockers? It feels like such a kind she, of. Uh, she, I mean, that's a crazy question. No, I mean that, that's what I'm saying because I think she's, she's huge. Yeah, no, that, but like it she's feels doing, like she's doing Little Fockers because because what they've done is they've done all right. We've got Ben Stiller, dream casting. Right, if we could get anyone in the world, mm. right. To play Ben Stiller's parents. Oh right? yeah, no, but it, almost like what's in it for Barbara Streisand. So they've gone from get anyone in the world to play Ben Stiller's. I mean, again, you're asking ridiculous questions, right? Because, because uh, if we can get anyone in the world to yeah. play Ben Stiller's parents, dream casting, we probably won't get them. Who would it be? And they've gone Dustin Hoffman and uh, Barbara Streisand and they've gone right we'll ask them and they've gone you never guess what they've only gone and fucking said yes mm. because I reckon making those films is incredible because Robert De Niro doesn't give a fuck he's just turning up for the paycheck and the food you know <laughs> you know, they'll have like amazing like um, craft services and uh, and then on top of that and they, and I reckon all the cast love each other and they all get on really well and it's like a fucking you know a seven months long barbecue and uh, then they go Dustin Hoffman's on board and then Barbara Streisand and Dustin Hoffman probably have known each other at some point over the years and uh, they've gone Barbara Streisand Barbara Streisand gets to come along and she does like you know uh, four weeks work on a, on a huge production and they just basically enjoy themselves, have a great time and then uh, none of that appears on screen <laughs> and it's badly written and it's kind of like, it, like I think the first the first few scenes I think tw twice within the first 20 minutes a scene will just end with uh, some sort of bodily fluid uh, getting it, like so um there's a scene uh that's not really going anywhere and ben stiller has kind of got to exert his dominance and uh, over his family and he's making his kid eat and his kid doesn't feel very well and he's going you eat your mum's uh, the food that your mum made and they haven't really got an end for the scene so the kid uh, projectile vomits all over ben stiller 
and then that's the end of the scene no repercussions whatsoever uh it's just like right that's it they don't like it's not like a bit that goes on and it's like oh it doesn't escalate it's just literally how do we end the scene right kid projectile vomits on ben stiller brilliant ha 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 that's the whole point of the scene and you go i'm not a moron the first the first meet the parents was about um kind of there was sort of like scatological humor and stuff like that in it but it was it was about family dynamics mm. it was still a little bit kind of like oh god robert de niro is sort of slumming it a bit but he was well cast mm. he wasn't great in it i don't think he is great in the films but um but uh he was it, it they they casting his baggage do you know what i mean but he's not like if he was cast as kind of like ex-mafia or an ex-gangster, then, then that would kind of work. But Robert De Niro doesn't really have like a history of playing... I suppose he has played quite a few uh, military people over mm. the time, but he normally plays like unhinged people. And that's not really what that character is. He's kind of yeah. like a very straight-laced CIA guy. So maybe he's not well cast. Maybe someone more like Harrison Ford would have been better. Yeah, in one like of a the, sort of tough, uh, tough, tough guy role. Yeah, um... Yeah, tough and intimidating. A guy that's got a history of playing cops, and so maybe Robert De Niro isn't the best. But you know, you kind of get it. He goes, Robert yeah. De Niro doing a comedy. I guess part of that is like the Arnold Schwarzenegger thing, mm. which is like Arnold Schwarzenegger doing a comedy. Oh, it's like Arnold Schwarzenegger playing Danny DeVito's twin. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger being a kindergarten teacher. Seems unlikely. Okay. Arnold Schwarzenegger's the first pregnant man. I heard this week, I heard this week that basically Sylvester Sloan did Stop All My Mom Will Shoot, right? Mm. Um, so you go, it came out amongst, a, it was from the director of Turner and Hooch, and it came out amongst a slew of uh, buddy action comedy. I've never thought about it like that either. Mm-hmm. But it came mismatched. out mismatched action buddy comedy. So it was like, hey, there's a cop and a dog. And uh, a white guy and a black guy, if you <laughs> can weird. imagine such a thing. Well, together. Um, together. In the same In car. the same car. <laughs> Absolutely. Who's going to drive? You know, <laughs> all those questions. Um, and then they went like, hey, what if it's a cop and his mum? And I've said it on the record before. Oh, it's on the record. Stop on my mum and shoot is a bad film. It's one of the worst films. But Sylvester Stone is actually really good in it. Right. And he's better in that film than he is in a lot of <laughs> films that don't get as much grief. Um, like, he is fucking terrible in Rhinestone. And everyone says that Rhinestone is terrible. Rhinestone is terrible. And fucking hell, uh, Sylvester Stone is terrible in it. But Stop on My Mum Will Shoot is equally a bad film, but he's really good in it, right? So, come on. Come on, guys. Anyway, um, that's not one of the criticisms you can throw at it, right? But the thing is, right... He starred in this film, this film came along, and you assumed that it was kind of like, well, it's working for Arnold Schwarzenegger mm. doing this thing, which is against type, so I'm going to do it, right? Even better than that is that Arnold Schwarzenegger read the script to Stop On My Mum Will Shoot, knew it was terrible, and he told people he was going to do it. He started a rumour saying that he's going to make Stop On My Mum Will Shoot, and Sylvester Stallone heard that, and he... Uh, Stole the stole the role 
to just to get one up on Arnold Schwarzenegger. He was just like, this is going to be Arnold Schwarzenegger's next film. No way. I'm doing it. Right? <laughs> so, so he made Stop on My Mama Shoot just because he heard that Arnold Schwarzenegger was interested. And Arnold Schwarzenegger was never going to make it. But he just sort of like started a rumor saying that he was going to star in it. Just so that he could trick Sylvester Stallone into making it. It's amazing. That is amazing. When you watch the film, like there's a bit when he's got to wear like a nappy in it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and you go, oh my god! That's a, it gives it a new a new context because you watch it and it's <laughs> such a humiliating film. And you watch it and you go, oh, fucking hell! What is also interesting, I think it's um, I think it's Roger Spottiswood that directed it. Yeah. Um, so he did Turner of, Turner and Hooch with Craig T Nelson in it, and then he did Stop on My Mum will shoot with Joe Best Williams in it. So basically, he was getting uh, the parents. <laughs> he, was, he was trying to basically make a film with all the cast from Poltergeist. <laughs> <coughs> it's funny when Stop on My Mum will shoot. When that came out, I remember going, "All oh, right, they've got the the old woman from the Golden Girls. She was quite a big deal. <laughs> she was the draw. Yeah, oh well. Well, my sister's, <laughs> fav- well, sister's favourite film was Mannequin when we were growing up, so we watched Mannequin like 40 times. It would be like, we'd watch <laughs> it all the time. Um, I've watched it again recently, and uh, I didn't realise how broad it was. <laughs> it's really broad. At the time, it was like, uh, I thought it was kind of like, a bit John Hughesy. That's how I remember it. And it's not. It's really ridiculous. <laughs> There's, uh, they're like breaking the fourth wall, and they've got like all the ancient Egyptian Egyptians speaking New Jersey accents, and it's <laughs> like, um, yeah, it's just it's really 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 broad. Um, anyway, uh, so uh, what are we talking about? So meet the fo- little fuckers. Um, so there's that scene right at the beginning where. Um, so it was about family dynamics, wasn't it? And it was about uh, the relationship between mm. uh, Ben Stiller and Robert De Niro. And it was almost like, what's the worst... They always feel like, what's the worst possible case scenario in this situation? And that's what it's always building up to. I think that, yeah. Uh, but also, that's the whole thing, isn't it? That's why they cast Robert De Niro, because it's just like, imagine you're in love with a girl and you're going to get married. Who would be the worst person to be her dad? Mm. And it's Robert De Niro, right? Fine. So it's kind of, and then that's what the, and I think that it's a really kind of like good, well-made comedy, for what it is from the from that era, uh, like a mainstream. Yeah, yeah I remember thing. enjoying it. Yeah, it, was, it was it was like a blockbuster comedy. Yeah, which you don't really. No, do, you do really you get, don't. And actually, I guess they did it, and they. I guess you had something about Mary and all that kind of stuff, but they were. But it was the guy from you know it was Ben Stiller from something about Mary. It was his like he he wasn't the lead in something about Mary. Mm-hmm. You know, he was like third on the. As we said, he was basically the lead, mm. but he wasn't well known then. So it was Cameron Diaz, Matt Dillon, who were dating at the time. So yes. it was kind of like, come and see this film with the with the, the Hollywood's couple. dream couple. And then Ben Stiller was like third down on list. Um, and then this was kind of like, this is the guy. He's he's done Zoolander, and now he's a big guy now. And come and see. And it had Owen Wilson in it. And, and it's the Austin Powers director, wasn't it? It was Jay. Was it Jay Roach? Jay Roach. Yeah. Why is your microphone so quiet? Oh, is it? Is it because I'm not talking into Maybe it's that. Maybe it's because I'm a bit too far away. Um, so I think it was Jay Roach, and then he did uh, the first and second one. Anyway, so, and then, so there's this vomit scene, and then they're doing another scene where um, uh, he's carving a turkey for some reason that's not, um, it's not Thanksgiving, and he goes, oh, well, you said that you enjoyed turkey, so I've made you turkey. 
and so he's carving the turkey and he goes no, you carve the turkey uh, Gaylord and so you know that's a funny joke in itself they mm. use it all the time over and over again it's called Gaylord Fokker and you go yeah as a reveal but now they're actually it's it worked in the first film because they weren't using it as sort of like a joke mm. but in this one it's kind of like that is the joke and everyone and, and everyone in it is aware that what his name means mm. and they're using it in the way it, you know it's kind of like it's devolved to such an extent anyway so he's carving the turkey and then he like cuts one of his fingers but not off and then blood spurts everywhere all over Robert De Niro and all over his mum and then that's the end of the scene and then the next scene is uh, they're all just cleaned up and he's got a bandage around his finger but that's it it doesn't go anywhere and it's kind of like that's how you just it's like this huge budget comedy where they must have had writers, and there's just it doesn't do anything. It's well, just it like feels like the kind of huge budget comedy where they've the people writing it have nothing to do with the first film anymore, and they've just got people in to kind of go <laughs> do a sequel, and the guys watching it go, oh, it's this kind of thing, isn't it? There's it's no this sort story. Of thing that happens in it. There's no story in it. What what it is is it's kind of like um, uh, what it is is it's that um, the first film they had a story to tell. Hmm. And then the second story just feels... It's a bit like the Toy Story thing, where mm. it's just like, what do we do with Buzz now? Well, we'll give him... We'll put him back on factory settings and we'll, we'll make him Spanish. And you go, that's not a story, though, is it? That's just <laughs> a thing that you're doing with a character. So in this one, it's just like uh, Greg uh, is going to use intimidating tactics to be the head of the, the family when, uh, when Robert De Niro um, passes the mantle down to him and so he kind of like goes through a thing where he acts completely different you know he's, he's like going he's trying to be like the godfather he's like trying to use intimidation tactics um uh on on his family and trying to make them uh eat their dinner and stuff like that and you go this is like a character quirk that you would put in a sitcom for one episode it's not a story that's worth putting in a film yeah. And that, that's, the, that's the issue, really, isn't it? It's, uh, it's disposable. Whereas the first one is a film with a beginning, a middle and an end. And then by, by the second one, it's just sort of like, what will we do with them this week? And it's bollocks. Absolute bollocks. Tootsie is good. Marathon Man, I must have seen it so many times. I think the video that I had of it, though, ended when they go to the, uh, the cottage in the middle of the uh, countryside. So you taped off telly. Yeah, I taped off telly and it didn't record, like, the last 40 minutes. Uh, so I watched the whole thing yesterday. Fucking brilliant. Great film. Uh, Lawrence Olivier is good, isn't it? He is. Mm. Um, there you go. So right, we're going to play. We're going to play a song, and then we're going to go and get our guest. Moon talk. Nick Helm and Nathaniel the Hum Metcalf on Subar Radio. I mean, there you go. Talking to your microphone, Paul. Talking to. Hello. Oh yeah, it's working. Oh, there it's you working. go. Oh yes. We're joined in the studio now by uh, by or with. I never know. Oh, I say it wrong with. every time. With joy, um, uh, Paul Gannon is here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, radio producer and uh, uh, host of the Cheap Show. Yeah. And um, uh, which is a podcast, uh-huh. and uh, and I know you as a comedian. Yeah, uh, and you might be one of the few who would happily call me that, but thank you. I would call you that. <laughs> and uh, a popular popular culture enthusiast. <laughs> yeah, let's go along with that. That's more polite than yeah. fucking nerd. Nerd, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Big lonely geek. Um, but uh, I remember that. Um, uh, I d- did you run that Watchmen gig or Watchmen gig? 
There was a Watchmen gig. For uh, Geek Night Out, was it? There was Geek Night Out that I did with a comedian called Rob Deb, who you may remember. Yeah. And he was the big geeky, nerdy thing, and I kind of tagged along with that. And then, long story short, it became a different night at the Phoenix for a while, and then I left London and stopped it all completely. I never did the Phoenix version of it. It was in that pub. What pub was it? It's in the Camden Passage. Uh, there was one of the Camden Passage one uh, that was the what the Camden Head as it was called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or whatever it's called oh, now. Yeah, yeah. And then it moved to uh, the Comedy Pub, and then it moved to yeah the Phoenix in uh, Oxford Circus for a bit. Right, yeah. I never did it at the Comedy Pub. I only did it. I think I did it the day that Watchmen came out, and then you did a Ghostbusters special as well. Yeah, the Ghostbusters special where I spent two and a half hours talking about Ghostbusters for a long time, and then <laughs> Rob Deb came on and went, "Hope you had a good night." By the way, Michael Jackson's dead. Good night. <laughs> and everyone just spent the whole time looking at their phones, going, "What?" <laughs> Took the edge off somewhat. That yeah. is Not unless he came back as a ghost. That'd that would have been good. That would have been Derek appropriate. Acora, Derek Acora would say he did. Yeah. Because uh, he channeled him. Did he? Yeah. For Sky years ago. Who did? Before Derek, he died. Derek Acora. <laughs> Even then, you don't think you'd get much of a connection from him. <laughs> Derek Acora is a psychic. Derek Acora is a psychic. Oh, really? Like what? Like he Robin? Speaks, like. Like speaks to the dead. Oh, a sidekick. Well, like a Sorry, sidekick. I a professional said, term is I bullshit artist. I thought you meant sidekick. No. No, right, okay. So, yeah, he channeled him for a Sky News show, so not too long after he died, Michael Jackson entered Derek Acora and spoke through him to a bunch of fans gathered around the table. To be fair, from what I've heard, uh, <laughs> Michael Jackson entered a lot of people. <laughs> um, right. Uh, so, uh, fucking, okay, right. So, I always find that really interesting when... Uh, you go, because uh, I remember, no, no, because I wasn't at the Ghostbusters one. No, I don't think you were. I know where I was when Michael Jackson died is the thing. Where were you? Where so were I you? Think I was having a drink at the Horn in St Albans. And that's not a euphemism. With a girl called Jo. Oh. Oh, good. And then the co- topic of conversation came up to Michael Jackson. It was one of those things where after the night was done, you no, went home and found out. it was literally, uh, we, uh, we, we were just having a bit of like a, a chat. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a just a quite an easy chat, general chat, not really a chat with any agenda. wasn't really going anywhere. And right. then all of a sudden, the night stepped up a gear, and it was fucking hell, Michael Jackson's time. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we just uh, yeah, I was a big Michael Jackson fan. I um, was in the Mucky Pup Pub, which is now the Bill Murray Pub. Oh, is that what it was used to be called? Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. Really? Mm. So if you were at the Camden Passage doing... Uh, the Camden Head, yeah. The Camden Head. Oh, yeah, it would have been around the corner. Yeah. Oh, literally around the corner, yeah. You were mm. around the corner from Nathaniel Metcalf mm-hmm. when Imagine. Michael Jackson died. Yeah, and that's why I take away most from that whole evening. <laughs> yeah, you will now. It was like, what is Nathaniel up to right now? Yeah. And then it became <laughs> very apparent he was just around the corner. Just around the corner. Yeah. Well, there you Having go. a drink and a chat. Mm. So, uh, uh, have, we, have you finished describing about the psychic? Yeah, I'll you're be, a massive fine. Ghostbusters fan, aren't you? Yes, that is that is my main thing. And you're you're probably the number one Ghostbusters enthusiast in. You know what? That it's not a cool thing to be the number one enthusiast of something like that. I tend to find. Oh, well, the, the fallback was before before 2016. Being a Ghostbusters fan was the best thing in the world. It was all joy and fun and games. And then unfortunately, they made a film with women in. And that ruined fa- the fan base for good. And I kind of stepped back and went, why do I want to be the top of this shit pile? Because there's so many toxic, horrible things being said. The fan base was divided. Uh, it was divided, like to put it politely. So, yeah, so I, after that, it all got a little bit toxic. And I was like, I saw the kind of people who were competing to be best Ghostbuster fan ever. And it was like, uh, nah, I'm out. So you're out. I'm out. Well, no, I still love it. But what I've decided is I don't, deci- I don't love something based on whether other people give me that 
sense of yeah I'm on your side it's like I'll just love what I love and that's fine and then you can that's do what you want that's a Ghostbusters fan Paul it occurs to me yeah have you ever heard David Essex's Ghostbusters yes Good. in fact you showed me you, you gave me the audio of it right. years ago you said you want to listen to this it's David Essex's Ghostbusters and that makes sense that and it's actually sense. not too bad there are worse versions out there and that one's you know it, um, he's, he's sexy in it just, just to cut in there uh, it's terrible Paul what 2016 <laughs> uh, no what? David Essex's Ghostbusters ah, I mean look the thing is with that song it's not the best song in the world ever and um, so I would say that it is up there <laughs> yeah in terms of in terms of in terms of uh, music tie-ins to films all right, I'll give Ghostbusters you that. has lasted all this time mm. to the point that when they were advertising when they when they were advertising the new one I mean it was a part of the advertising campaign they did a remix of it yeah. you know, so like that for, that ironically that song has not died even lawsuits basically saying mm. that he ripped it off Huey Lewis uh, well no he did I mean that was the whole story wasn't it that Huey Lewis was brought in to go have we got this film on the go we've got a theme for you he produced uh, a song called I Want a New Drug yeah and then and that uh, they went na na na. They got uh, apparently the story goes that they got Ray Parker Jr. in and said, "Have you heard this? Make it sound like that." And then that's kind of how it came about. And then there was a court case that said no one's allowed to speak to this because it was settled out of court. And so everyone kept to that until Huey Lewis did an interview with VH1 and said, "Oh yeah, no, I got won all this money from Ray Parker Jr." And then all of a sudden it all went window and everyone got to know about it. Of course, but that, yeah, because they asked Huey Lewis originally to do the to do the song. Well, frankly, he got to do Power of Love a few months later. So, that's um, a win for him. What's interesting about uh, Huey Lewis's Power of Love? Oh, I don't know. Uh, it was one of four songs called Power of Love that was released in 1985. Jennifer Rush. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Yeah. yeah. I think there was four. It was three Barbara or four. Barbara Dixon? No. Power of Love. Because I am a lady. Come on, keep going. Are you, are you, you are my man. I like the intensity. Yeah. Well, I've got to channel it. If I've got to channel it, it's got to come from an honest place. Of course. <laughs> of love. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's there. It's beautiful. It's there. I can't do too much because it, 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 you know, no, to please. it affects me. Yeah. It's <laughs> a spiritual, emotional mate. level. And also all of the dials on the, uh, on the control <laughs> desk are going well, no, the, mental. Yeah, the song, the, the thing is, the song is, it, it's, it stayed the course. But it's kind. It, it's been taken almost like it's a silly song that you play at Halloween no, parties. I think you think Ghostbusters is a fucking wicked. Well, no, song. I think That's I think enough. that. No, what I think about it is, it's the kind of song that shouldn't have lasted. Yeah. So it's so it does have something that is still so popular because you think of it, it's got nothing to do with. It's only about busting ghosts, which isn't the kind of thing that you come across every day. No, it's not the kind of thing that should be taken out of context. When Ray, and yet it's probably played every weekend in, when in Park, pubs across the country. When Ray Parker Jr. says "busting makes me." feel good you go that is great when David Essex says let me tell you something yeah, Boston makes me feel good that's not as good it's not at all was, I, I, so I recently saw Ray Parker Jr. So do a live set I would argue that Ray Parker Jr. is what makes that song Oh yeah, definitely. And the thing is, people forget that he had a really illustrious career songwriting for, the, for most of the seventies and early eighties for a lot of kind of funk and pop bands and things like that. So, stuff that my co-host could tell you easily off the top of his head what the tracks are, but I can't think of. But he had a really solid uh, writing history. And what was interesting is I recently saw him perform live in front of this. Fu- 
group of Ghostbusters fans. He went, right, so how about I do some of my songs and then I do Ghostbusters at the end? And there was a bit of kind of, uh, and then he went, so I'll do it now then. And he went, yay! And then he proceeded to do a 15 minute version of Ghostbusters. It was still going you know on for like 15, 20 minutes. He must have that in his back pocket, though, to go like, I've got 15-minute Ghostbusters. Maybe if I just do that, I don't have to do a 45-minute It set. was just, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the thing is, it was not bad. He threw, in a, like, he threw in a couple of mashups and covers into it at the same time. He kept the beat. It was lovely, but there was a part where it went, oh. Well, it's like all those people where like people talk about, oh, yeah, when I was at university, Chesney Hawks came, and, and they always go, oh, this story's just going to make me feel bad. It's mm-hmm. Chesney Hawks trying to do any song, but... Um, the one and only, and sort of. I'm a man, not a boy. Was the other one? Was that him? I think that was his other song. I don't was think it not? That was man, not a boy. Wasn't I that Divine? <laughs> could have been. I thought that was. Um, oh, what was that band? Uh, was it? it wasn't North and South. North and South. Did they do a song called "I'm a Man, Not a Boy"? They yeah. go, "I'm a man, not a boy. Man, not a boy. Natalie's not man, not a boy." That was North and South, right? Yeah, yeah, but was that? But that, I'm imagining that Chesney Hawks probably sang a different song called Maybe. Maybe he had a lot to prove. Well, he didn't. Have, I mean, he was the star of Buddy's song starring Roger Daltrey. Yes, mm. you know that's also that's just a sequel to a children's, children's BBC book, series yeah. called Buddy. Yeah, really? Yeah, mm. it's a sequel which also starred Roger Daltrey as the dad, but not Chesney Hawks. I'm no. a man, not a boy. Chesney Hawks. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uneasy lies the head that wears a crown. <laughs> Is that a lyric? It looks like it's, it's a lyric from Chesney Hawks. Chesney Hawks. So I think it's a, quote. it's a quote. It's a quote. Yeah. From Chesney Hawks. Um, uh, no other information we've got there about Chesney Not many Chesneys, there. is there? Apart from him. No, I can't think of another Chesney. Certainly of note. Yeah. Chesneys of note. That's my <laughs> new Radio 4 series I'm pitching. What's your... One episode I've got. Go on. What's your, what's your uh, <coughs> uh, podcast about? Cheap Show. Uh, Cheap Show uh, came out... Uh, it started because... Me and Eli Silverman, who you may have worked with in the past. Eli Jacob Silverman. Silverman. Yeah. Uh, We weren't having a great time with our stand-up career. I'll be blatantly honest. And I wasn't feeling the love of it. And it was getting a bit stressful and bad for mental health. And he was just not engaging in it. And so when I moved out of London to get a radio job, uh, I had a radio studio. And I thought, ah, fuck it, I'll just do a a podcast. They're all the rage, all coming into the rage. Where did you move out of London? When did I move out? Where did Where'd you I move? moved to Southampton. Oh, Southampton. Yeah. I went to Winchester University. Oh, Winchester's nice. And we used to go to Southampton. We used to go out in Southampton. Uh, it cost £2.50 on the train. Yeah. And uh, that multiplex in Southampton is where, on a rainy day, after a wet KFC, I watched the movie Driven. Oh, <laughs> what a story! I know, I was what an incredible story. It is such. A, I mean, it's such a kind of like uh, an average film that is. Uh, I, I mean, it's, it's like it was such an average bleak day. You know, it's like the KFC, but it was back in the day when you used to be able to get a spork at KFC with the Colonel's head on the on the end of it, <laughs> and uh, you know you would be able to uh, spork whole. Beans? Mouthfuls of gravy. Gravy. <laughs> it was such a horrible day. I think what we would have got done is we'd have gone to. Um, we were all very poor, so we'd have gone to Toys R Us to look at the look at le- the toys, look yeah. at the Lego. <laughs> then we would have gone to KFC. Uh, maybe we'd have gone to uh, get a drink at Weatherspoons, and then we would have gone to the cinema because uh, there was a Sylvester Stallone film on the, at the cinema, Driven. 
Uh, we went too much. To- <laughs> is that the Rennie Harlan one? The the the, 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 the F one is it F one? No, no. It? I think it's, it's meant to be NASCAR. NASCAR. I, I don't think it is. I think it actually is Formula One. But on the back of it, I've got. A, I don't know the difference, right? But I've got a friend. Or I had a friend. <laughs> he was a friend. Of, <laughs> he was a friend of a friend, uh, and uh, I was round his house, and uh, I. Seem to remember quite liking the film Driven at the time. I remember quite liking it as well. I, I don't think it's that bad. He's called Joe Tanto, and they call him <laughs> which the, is a great name. And they call him the Hummer, and basically <laughs> that means that when when he's driving his Formula One car around, he hums, and like they're all listening to <laughs> they're all listening to him over the uh, over the intercom. You mean he's going bah, mm, so he's going making mm, engine sounds, yeah, mm, and everyone has got their headphones on, going what's what's that noise? And he goes ah, he's called the Hummer. That's Bert. Reynolds, I call the hammer. The hammer's back, and um, yeah, uh, and he does this thing where he flips these coins out of his. Uh, he's doing like a test lap, yeah. and he drives around the lap, and he flips these coins out of uh, the car, and then he does another lap where he skids over the coins and he melts them onto his tires, and he flips out four coins, uh, and at the end they go this. Uh, he's only got three, and Sylvester Stallone just sort of like shrugs and walks off. And then as he walks off and he's out of sight, one guy just spins the wheel a bit more, and he he got uh, all four. He did get all four. He got all four. So, what's your know. take on the uh, latest and probably last Rambo movie? Doesn't, Based on the trailer, doesn't look like a Rambo film. Um, it um I'm I'm as long as hmm, I'm all for Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, uh, making films and Last Blood, I'm very excited about, mm. and I think it looks like a legitimate attempt to make a film okay unlike some of his like his escape, escape plan. plan three escape plan is he in escape plan three yeah yeah that's coming out i've seen right. an ad uh, advert on the underground for it yeah the third one escape plan was awful but and it, it was did, a, 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 apparently it was the first film to ever feature arnold schwarzenegger speaking his native german tongue he's great in it as well oh, yeah great schwarzenegger's it? best performance is in one of his worst films <laughs> which is sad i think it's like stallone like his best performance is in stop on <laughs> my mum will shoot yeah terrible <laughs> film right? it's not his best performance but you know uh, he's good in it even though it's a terrible film uh, I'm just I'm just I'm just recapping for you Paul. Yeah, we yeah. did talk about uh, stopping well, my mum you know, earlier uneasy lies the head that wears a crown eh such wise such wise thoughts wise words um, but uh, but yes yeah, Escape Plan was rubbish at the time you just think why have they made it stylized? why are they all wearing those yeah. uh, those sort of like drama masks you know it's it, uh, if it had been if it'd been more realistic, like mm. a, like this is an actual real, pr- if it was more like Escape from Alcatraz or something like that, a modernised yeah, version yeah, of yeah. that, where it's kind of like there's actual real world uh, logistics about how to escape from this thing, that would have been really great and interesting to watch them trying to escape and get. A, but because it was basically it's a science Sci-fi, fiction yeah. film, it was just absolutely it was a complete waste of fucking time. And then they made yeah, but so like the Escape Plan films where it's like he's just turning up for what. Like a week and getting paid. Yeah. What was that fucking film? Backtrace was it that I saw with Matthew Modine in it? It's like this fucking mental film where Sylvester Stallone wears this nasty leather jacket and he spends the whole film uh, talking to a room full of uh, cops in an X, office. X. Is it the one where they go to a retreat? And they're all getting picked off one by one. No, that's detox. Detox. Uh, this was made really recently, and it's basically it's uh, straight to TV, and it's uh, Matthew Modine is doing 
is in half of the film where he's being chased and tracked by these police officers. Okay. And uh, uh, Sylvester Stallone is overseeing the tracing and tracking of the police officers from an office. He looks like he's in basically a converted school hall. <laughs> and he's just ba- and he, he does all of his stuff... Uh, standing on the spot, just talking to people. He doesn't do anything. So it's, it's like a, an action movie version of the TV show Treasure Hunt. Yeah, it's yeah. exactly like that. All right, good. Right, where they've done all of his stuff in like, a d- <laughs> yeah, in like two in. days, and then he's got one one scene on location where he's kind of like meets Matthew Modine. Yeah, it's absolutely that was the gash, big money day, right? Um, but uh, but Last Blood looks yeah. like they're legitimately trying to make a film. Uh, and I'm excited for it, but... It doesn't feel like Rambo. He's not got a headband and his hair isn't long. And I, I think he, his hair would look ridiculous long now. Mm-hmm. But Was it long in the last one? Yeah. 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 Um, but the last one was 15 years ago now. Are you... It was 2005 or something. 2006. Oh, God. That's th- I hate when people point things out like maybe that. Like, maybe it's like <laughs> 13 just, years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was last year, wasn't it? Yeah, it was like a couple of years ago. I remember it. I saw it on VHS. <laughs> Or maybe it was 2008. It was, but still, no, even so, it must be a good decade. Yeah. Over 10 years ago. Um, uh, it's just, it's, it's, it's a thing, because when you watch it, if I didn't know it was Last Blood, yeah. because he's not in the jungle, no. it, most of it's set in a barn. Apparently. Um, they go for the Western thing, aren't they? Yeah, That's they, go, what for I think they go But then why change it? They're changing genres right at the last minute there. Mm. But then also, even, even when he gets the bow and arrow... yeah. You still, I still don't you relate still it don't to, connect it to, to the. It looks good, but it still don't. I don't connect it with it. Was um, that because the, the original plot wasn't it meant to be like a monster movie or something like that? Originally, like it was going to be him a, versus some kind of was, predator thing. It was a werewolf, uh, or it was a, it was a genetic. What the original Rambo was Rambo him? Four, whatever oh, the new Rambo okay. would have been. It, it was going to be a genre change, and basically there was going to be a genetically modified beast out in the woods that they were going to have to get Rambo to um, uh, hunt. Yeah, hunt, yeah, but he was going to be like the the head of a crack team unit that went in and they get picked off one by one. And someone said, "That's Predator," and they went, <laughs> "Oh yeah, it is." Sorry, we That's won't. Predator. We won't Every eighties action film that came out after Predator. Um, <laughs> so, but they were making that like within the last decade. They yeah. were like going and and they announced it. They were doing it, and then someone just said, "That's Predator." And they were like, "Fuck!" Yeah, <laughs> yeah we knew it sounded familiar. So they Sounds like a good idea. But then they did that Tommy Lee Jones Benicia del Toro film didn't they that was um, was it John Frankenheimer that directed that and uh, that was essentially that was First Blood they just remade First Blood I remember this it was like can we have a look at that Um, yesterday (laughs) I saw a a trailer for the new or the Fast and the Furious spin-off movie and I'm not sure I'm not I'm not a fan of the Fast and Furious I haven't seen a single one of them the only one I ever saw was the first one and I thought it was rubbish, and I've never seen any since. And I know they're meant to be better now, but they—it it was the first film was about people who race cars, right? Yeah. And this one is like in the trailer. I mean, Dwayne Johnson's in it, and he says uh, they say something like, "Oh, what we need you to do is save the world." And you go, "What?" And he says, and in the trailer he says, "I've already done that four times." What was and you the go, Tommy Lee Jones Benicia del Toro <laughs> film? Focus. It would just be on. Benicia, was it a, a, like a, a, a thriller western kind of hunting film? It was. It was exactly like First Blood. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, you said, and they go, "We've already saved the world four times." And you go, "Have you?" Like that. That film was about people racing cars, and now they're like world changing. Um, and also the trailer for it, it's like a, a, a spin-off with Jason Statham and Dwayne Johnson, neither of whom were in this, the film I saw. 
the first one. No, yeah, they've yeah. added to the cast. But film like, by it's film, a, but like um, um, J- Idris Elba. Yeah. Is um is called Brixton in it, yeah, <laughs> and he is like a superhero. It looks he's incredible. a supervillain. I think it looks incredible. I can't <laughs> wait for Hobson Shaw. I haven't seen any of the Fast and Furious movies, <laughs> but it looks like a, a fun time. You know when you see an old like you remember like um, Tango and Cash? It's got that kind of the feel hunted, to it. The Hunted, two thousand and three, <laughs> and what year was Rambo? From the 2000s. I think it was maybe 2008. Now I'm thinking about it. Um, it just looked insane. Yeah, it looks like a tank of cash, but I fucking love... Have you seen Jason Statham kick... Uh, the bottle tap, the, the, the lid off the bottle. No. Oh, my thing. God. It's so fucking cool. Um, have you cut. seen Have you seen it, Theo? There's a whole new thing now where, you know, like, there's a viral challenge. If you can do a... What was it? A kind of kick and spin a bottle top off without knocking the bottle over, then, then you win the internet. Yeah, it's I think good. it's something I mean, like that. It also means that he doesn't have to have a bottle opener with him. No, no, I, mean, I think it's a, it's a screw cap because I think the whole okay. that, that one would be a lot more difficult right, to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. he is just if fucking kick wicked. The... <laughs> <laughs> but it's really fun. David Spade. Um, David Spade did one where uh, he was, <laughs> it was just really shit the way. How did it? This is great for radio. It, it is. It's no, but, great but this <laughs> is audio live, content. This is a live. This is a live reaction of. Uh, right there you go. Is it doing it? There you go. Uh, it's in slow motion. It takes twenty-four seconds. Okay, so. he's doing it. He's doing this spin. Ooh. Wonder how many goes he had of it. Eighteen. Holy shit! It's impressive, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> It just makes you think. Like, it looks like it's filmed in that that Whiteley's building where they do um, a, 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 what's it called Sunday brunch. <laughs> looks like it's in that. <laughs> looks like it's been filmed there. Um, it's, <laughs> it's so when, just when you thought you could. Two thousand eight was Rambo. Uh, just when you thought that you couldn't love him anymore, there really, I think that. So uh, Jason that, Statham was introduced into like the fifth one, was he? Was like the main bad. He was guy. the bad guy in the last he, one. He, I think. Like properly. I kills, do like J- Jason Statham, but he properly kills like some of the main team, and mm-hmm. and like they're like devastating by it and so like he's a real threat and then in this one he's kind of like the lovable anti-hero yeah. oh right so he's killed like Dwayne Johnson's mates <laughs> yeah oh because in this no, one well, it's Dwayne, like Dwayne Johnson is a cop that's after the main but then guys. he joins the team in one of the films okay like when Renny Russo got involved with the Lethal Weapon franchise sure. he brought in and then became part of the family so then so so uh, so the Fast and Furious films were about Vin Diesel and his team of outlaws yes 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 and over the course of time uh, Jason added. Statham was a bad guy in one of the films and then Dwayne Johnson was a cop that was on their t- mm. trail and you've not seen any of these I've not seen any of them <laughs> but I know, I know lots about them it's true you kind of get it by osmosis <laughs> don't you just kind of absorbs in all this information yeah I mean I feel like I've seen them but um, I know, so the, like got I know the fifth one is meant to be the best one. He's like um, Idris Elba is super powered. Yeah. yeah. I just get, what? Like they used to cent- race cars. Just, just go with it. He's got a suit like a Centurion. Is it a Centurion? Remember that cartoon yeah. in the eighties with the, all, mm. the things attached? Who is your favourite? Uh, I actually had the action figure of the land one. You know, it became a tank and you could strap mm. the missile on its back and I stuff. I just knew that in the eighties, if there was, um, I was a real sucker for any eighties action figure with a moustache. They all had moustaches, didn't they? The Centurions. Man at arms, didn't they? One of the Centurions had a black moustache. I think it was maybe the blue one. Oh Ace, no, that was Ace McLeod. He wasn't. He wasn't a. He didn't have a moustache. Perhaps it was the green one then. Yeah, I think it might be the green one. So we had what was it? One was a jet fighter. One was a tank, and one was a submarine of some kind. That was yeah, the gist. Yeah, that was the gist. I didn't. I, uh, if it covered up his moustache, I wasn't interested. You weren't interested. <laughs> also, the toy of the toy of Man at Arms in He Man didn't have a moustache, right? But on the cartoon, he did. I'm pretty don't sure know. he did have a moustache, mate. Sure, the toy did. I'm pretty sure. Okay. 
Can we have a check on that? <laughs> can we have a can, can we, we have, have an update on that? The, ma- uh, the man at arms, <laughs> the man at arms, mustache uh, controversy action figure. Just write man at arms action figure. <laughs> um, uh, man at arms uh, dot com. <laughs> um, uh, God, so how did we get to this? I don't know. <laughs> oh, let's, I tell you what, I'll just fast forward back to the bit about the podcast. So, start the podcast. Be rewind. Um, we got rewind. Uh, and me and Eli are broke, so we decided to do a podcast about living on cheap things. So the whole show is about. That's things right. I've done show. it. I've done it, haven't you? You, you test. Hang on a minute. You've done his podcast years ago when it wasn't years quite. Ago. It was like it's been going four years apparently. See, now. Look, there you go. He's got a fucking mustache. There you, there you go. go. Yeah, yeah. So you did it when it was uncleakables, when it was like meant to be a show we were doing with Richard Sandling, and it didn't it didn't really work out for boring practical reasons. Right. Okay. And that's then what I the did. format changed, became cheap show, where it was like let's see what we can find in charity shops and bargain bins and and you know, anywhere you can get cheap stuff. And so we test cheap food against brand food, and it's basically just me and Eli having rants and arguments every week, but with this whole kind of idea of exploring charity shops and finding really good stuff. So it's we're kind of not demonising being broke. So we do a lot of stuff for food banks and charity shops and stuff like that, as well as stupid pure round knob gags. What is the best cheap alternative to something else that you found? We, well, this is going to sound really kind of boring, but mayo. We found out that most brand mayo doesn't taste all that different from, you know, like shop stuff like Sainsbury's or Tesco. Mm. Or pizzas. Iceland do really good pizzas for pound fifty stone baked thin. Uh, and they're just as good as like the expensive thin crust stuff when I was really really poor yeah I uh, used to scrape together pennies and go to Iceland and um, the food in Iceland is mocked but But, it's actually delicious well this is the thing it's like we do go to a point where it's like yes alright this stuff's not going to be high end food quality but if you're living off pounds a week yeah, yeah. is this stuff going to be good and also we do like the yellow ticket thing where it's like reduced to sale can you make a nice meal out of a few things you grab off the shelf so we try and mix in try and mix in some consumer stuff in amongst the random surreal kind of scatological comedy that fills up most of the show but it means we can do lots of things with the format it means we can go on day trips out and try and do it on a budget it means we can do live shows that we, we do reduced tickets and some of it goes to charity and things like that so we, we try and take this really stupid podcast and make it Give it a point. If I was, if I had a, like a fan following, yeah, for a show about saving money, yeah, and then I did a live show, yeah, I would charge premium amount for people to come <laughs> see <laughs> And then, it's a, then it's I a tough get, thing. It's, it's then a, I would get an Uber home. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a tough thing because we did get like a lot of people saying, "Can you do a live show?" Because we had our hundredth episode last year, and uh, we didn't know what to do because we didn't think we'd sell it out. We're a nice podcast, but we're not huge. So we got to talk to the Bill Murray and said, "Can we rent it for one space?" And then we sold that out within two hours. How much and does the Bill Murray cost? It depends on what you're doing, but we got it for free with a door share. So you know you fill it up, and then they take a cut of whatever you get on the door. So I thought it was free. I thought. It was. Well, yeah. So. It, uh, that's as far as I know my experience has only been can I have this room yes we'll have a door split oh that's lovely yeah which is how it worked out and it was really nice it was nice to see all the audience some came from like New York and Amsterdam mm. and Sweden and Germany to come see the show and so it was nice to have that feedback but we made sure it was affordable because if you're flying over I from New York with, I saw you the other day bumped into you in the Soho Theatre watching Neil Hamburger yes and, uh, and you had people approaching you because of the podcast because of the podcast I know I had to. I, I had to have ten years of being a shit stand-up, and then doing a dodgy <laughs> podcast before anyone started like taking notice. Yeah, yeah. And then, which is fine because it's 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 nice to be to have that audience. Now I've got to be honest. 
the podcast was only a success, to be honest, because we had a lot of uh, uh, bumps from YouTubers who we were working with. Like, you know, I don't know if you know Stuart Ashen, people like that. Ah, yeah. uh, Ashen has got like million subscribers. He's a tat kind of guy. I um, can't. I can't get. Um, I can't get into that whole. No, thing. I can't get them to work on my phone. So, I mean, for YouTubers like him, that we got a bump, and because Eli's Eli, a lot of people came to the podcast because of Eli. And I just have to wrangle it very much like Mark Allen used to have to wrangle Eli for like his shows, like, like um, what was it, uh, Humble Crest for Universal Genius and shows like that used to. Yes, yeah. So, so yeah, it's been really nice, and it's like I, I, I basically can afford to live off Cheap Show now, which surprised me when we started it four years wow. ago. That's great. Yeah, because yeah. I think it's a really good idea for a podcast as well. It feels like a lot of podcasts uh, from the stuff that I've been in contact with her a bit and this one as well really is kind of like a bit navel gazy and a bit kind of like uh, so to do something that's actually kind of beneficial that people get something out of it yeah and it's weird other than just the experience of listening to something because I appreciate that this is sort of like an escape for some people escapism is completely fine and to be honest a lot of cheap show is ephemeral scatological bullshit but we do scatter it with bits that make the concept work but what we found is our audience is quite creative and so we've had lots of people making merch for us. Like, I mean, if I've got these bloody badges made and things like that and T-shirts and whatnot, but all designed by our fans. So rather than us take the money, if you've made a T-shirt for Cheap Show and you're an artist and you want to try and earn some money, go sell our logo, go make a T-shirt. And we've had, like, people who support the show. Because you get for, stuff out of it. Yeah, because it helps us with our brand and identity. Mm-hmm. But then if they're So they make artists, the money from those T-shirts. From their money. So we just say, stick a little logo on that says... Cheap show approved, thumb up kind of thing, and you can do whatever you want because I noticed that a lot of people who support us on Patreon are struggling artists or writers or magazine that makers. That is really nice considering. I mean, how are you making money from it? Well, it's Patreon and, Patreon. and, and bits and bobs because, like, we have one fan makes a cheap show magazine which comes out every two months and it's the most impressively made thing. Way more impressive than our fucking podcast. It's like articles she speaks to fans she gets into she makes uh, quizzes and things based yeah. on the show you want to crack down on this Paul now well, this is you're the, on a crack down I don't know because they, take these people a call oh no <laughs> the nice thing about it this is, is how you're going to make your money yeah, eventually now you will be living off cheap the rest <laughs> of your life yeah, yeah get used to them to the super noodles um, <laughs> the noodles is a massive fucking part of the show as well we get people go well we have this country urban noodle kitchen test lab where Eli pimps noodles so he gets like a samyang off the shelf and goes oh you want to pimp it with a little bit of this what's and so a fucking Samyang it's a brand of super 40p noodle, noodle what, kind what, of. What, what brand uh, well the Samyang is the name of the company that make instant noodles and they make the top end stuff like what Eli would call a three packer so if it's got three packs in you know it's going to be good because one's like a herb sachet well, yeah, yeah, one's you, the oil you get the uh, mm. you, the dehydrated spring onions yeah and then you get sort of like the oil, yeah mm. right the oil one that's sort of like sometimes you get one that's kind of like part oil Pot and pot, um, kind of yeah, paste. yeah, mm. yeah. And so he goes into a whole thing about mm. he, he pimps the menu and he, he throws a spring onion in, or he does a little thing that makes it all like you know ready, steady, cook on a budget. Tesco's would do uh, would do like a fifteen p noodles at one point, and it was all right. It's all right. This is the thing, though. There's a, there's a whole idea of oh, I can't possibly buy anything because it hasn't got a brand name on it. But sometimes, like nine times out of ten, you can probably buy a knockoff Jaffa cake, and it will taste just like a Jaffa cake. And if you didn't tell anyone, they wouldn't complain. You could probably dump well, a lot I would of complain because I hate Jaffa cakes. Well, there you go. <laughs> Obviously, that ex- that example was not designed for you. What do you like? <sighs> nothing. Right. Well, Imagine we'll... there's a brand uh, knockoff nothing. <laughs> I like noodles. To be fair, I, I, I like uh, yeah. My favourite noodles are the shin cups. 
that you get. Oh, they aren't. I, I've gotten into recently the broad noodle, the kind of the more like a soup, and they oh, they're like the kind of thick, thin ribbons kind right, of thing. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Oh, mm. hot, very hot. As in. They can be very hot noodles. Spicy. Yeah, it's like there's a (laughs) four-time spicy Samyang noodle, which is just lava. Noodle lava in your mouth. Oh, God, they do a fucking uh, one with a chicken on it. Yeah. It's like volcano hot. That's the one, that's Samyang, double spicy, whatever. Right, right, Samyang. So that's so hot, but that is so hot that... um, I mean, it's that it sort of stains yeah. it, like fucking hell. The problem is, it's tasty, but and then you get the heat, so you go, "Oh, this is nice." Ow! Oh, this is nice. Really, Ow! It's kind of like sweet, isn't it? Mm. But it's so spicy and fucking. It, it's it, but it's so it, yeah. It's like uh, your your mouth is like a useless hole in your face. And, and yeah, but th- there's been a huge growth of popularity of noodles in this country because the quality has improved because of the accessibility of getting them in Oriental or you know Chinese shops and things like that. And if you're broke, you you're not going to live off them, but you can have them every now and then. And we try and go, here's a nice one. So that's kind of mm. the point of the show. And then we just have a laugh. It's it's weird. It's 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 an odd show. Because fundamentally it is about austerity and, you know, living on the cheap and stuff like that. But ultimately it is just more like a sitcom. Someone described it as like Bottom. If Bottom was a sitcom, it'd be Cheap Show because it's, it's got that similar kind of... Bottom was a podcast. Bottom was a podcast, thank you. That Bottom was one of my brain... is a, is a sitcom. Yeah. Yeah. That was unfortunately when my brain skips a few bits of logic and grammar and syntax. Yeah, it's fine. I'm just here to... No, know, please do, please do. My fucking podcast does it all the time. We know they say, Paul... An easy lies the head that wears a crown. Well, yeah, who was, yeah, the, who yeah. was the sage advice we got that from? Uh, I think it's one of mine. I think the problem is Hawks. My, was it Chesney Hawks? Eli calls what I do gananisms, where I just fuck up a bunch of stuff and I can't get it out. Like, for instance, I was trying to say to him, you're walking on thin ice, or tread, and I got it confused, and I said, oh, you're treading on thin water, just because my brain couldn't <laughs> quite... That'd be a puddle. <laughs> well, yeah, it would be a puddle. So you're walking, on, you're walking on thin water, Jesus. You like board games that are based on TV shows. Yes, that is what I sent in the email to your producer. Now, what is... Uh, give me an example. So, this again goes back to Cheap Show. We would go to board games, uh, like ch- charity yeah. shops and stuff like that, and there'd be cheap board games. And I started realising, like, if you go to the right one, you can find some really weird and rare stuff. So I started picking up the obvious stuff, like Family Fortunes and board games based on that. And then I was like, ah, right, and then yeah. I found Noel's House Party, the board game. And I was like, I have to have this. <laughs> What's yeah. that? That's just... I get There used to be a get... Teleaddict one and you can understand that because that makes sense. Yeah. Noel's House Party board game, that's basically uh, you take the lid off the box and it's just a load of ecstasy. It has its own grab-a-grand booth at the end. So you have this little pump and you have to pump little fake bits of money out of a little plastic cube. Does it also double as a penis enlarger? Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because the research has been done and I can say yes, it does. <laughs> Mind you. And that's a cheap, that's a cheap option. That's a very cheap option. If, you, if you're looking to buy a, um, a penis enlarger, you can pop down to your charity shop, Just find a Noel's House Party. Demand the grab a grand booth from Noel's House Party board game. <laughs> For me, and any, you too can have a four incher. Any picture of Noel Edmonds is a penis enlarger for me. Um, <laughs> What's your favourite era though? Is it like 70s breakfast show? Now. Is it? No. Now. It is. <laughs> with the uh, with the with the Hollywood Hogan beard that he's got. 
there was a weird thing when it came out with that because we started attacking Noel Edmonds for no reason on the podcast and then it got to who was the company that made Cheap 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 you know the show he did for Channel 4 yeah, yeah, yeah. it got to them and they emailed me to say oh we've heard you've been saying things that we you know we've ripped off your podcast format and I was like oh yeah but you know not really we get it it's not the most original idea in the world and they said well do you want to come on our Christmas special and go up against Noel Edmonds and blah 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 oh, and I was like yeah and then next day the news came out the show was cancelled and I was oh. like oh I was so close to Noel yeah, but uh, that would have been that would have been a weird thing where he would try and sue you or something he would, well he I'm not Lloyd's been, Bank he could have been quite uh, aggressive to you while they were filming well no one knows why but the backst- the stories I'd heard from people who emailed the show was uh he is. He wants to try and be funny, but he doesn't understand comedy. So, like, cheap, cheap, cheap had this whole sense of it's a sitcom and a quiz show, and so there would be bits between the games where actors would interact with him. And one or two stories came to me it was like he would do a scene, get angry, and then one or two of the cast would go backstage and cry, just have a little bit of a breakdown, a wobbly well, moment. We and know then come... some of the cast members. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, someone said because I can't imagine this is all hearsay from an email I was sent. So I'm not saying this is factual. All I'm saying is one or two people came by, came out and had a bit of a wobble backstage because they just couldn't take being part of the show. Well, I don't know how true that is. Um, that's your word against, exactly. against 40 years of solid broadcasting. So. <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah, Noel has never been involved in anything dangerous on a, on a, okay. on a, on a TV so, show. I'm just, saying, uh, I'm just saying he's never been irresponsible during a live broadcast. He's never put anyone's life at risk. So anyway, so I get all these board games because what's interesting to me about how do, they, how do you fold a TV show format into a board game? Mm. And for the t- game show ones, yeah, it's fine because I got a Crystal Maze board game recently, and How's that's that, cool. surely that's a shit board game. Crystal Maze, yes and no. It's an interesting <laughs> idea, badly put together. So some of the toys in there, like cracker toys, you know, like the kind of maze with a ball you kind of get in, or there's oh. a little you put a crystal in a, oh, in a mystery so box. Actually, little toys, right? So yeah. it's a board game with like little kind of cracker toys, almost, which are the games and zones. Then you have a crystal dome in the middle. That you throw tickets in, and you have to shake them out. So it's fun. Yeah, that's all right. But then you've got board games based on things like Alo Alo and Dad's Army. I know we, we had a murder she wrote one. That's a pretty good one though. I can imagine that being like Cluedo, mm. similar. Whereas Alo Alo. Yeah, what's yeah. that going to be like risk yeah what's the game <laughs> I think it's some kind of dodge the Nazis and, and, and grab the fallen Madonna with the big boobies and take it back to the restaurant kind of thing it's, right. it's, it's, it's you know they take the plot like ain't half, you ain't, ain't half hot mums a board game and bread's a board game and everything Only Fools and Horses so these ones are a bit more interesting because there's like, like how do you take the format of Only Fools and Horses and turn it into a board game they kind of did Monopoly Monopoly that's what I yeah exactly yeah, which, would, I would, which would work that, it does work so you're you're what trading stuff and then trying to uh, buy sell get your way up the uh, social ladder yeah something like that so, so, there what was, would, so what was bread what the fuck is bread bread's a bit like Monopoly as well you go around a board you oh I'm going to be a poet you know it's all that kind of stuff and Lilo Lilith Tart did you ever see what's the name of the guy Jonathan Morris Jonathan Morris did you ever see Jonathan Morris on Noel's house party and he's no. got Google, Google Jonathan Morris's gotcha because he when, played the poet character in Bread didn't he the yeah, kind of mm, the yeah. wet lipped guy he was, he was like a big deal in the 90s he oh, hosted yeah. the movie game for a little while on BBC Jonathan Children's Morris BBC did. yeah so he after turned, John Barrowman so he turned up Did he? On, um, I remember yeah I remember Schofield Barrowman then Morris okay you just go up and up and up the echelon wow. of talent but he turned up on the uh, gotchas right and, <laughs> uh, and so his one is basically um uh, He's in the middle of the countryside and uh, there is a pregnant woman in a taxi who's mm-hmm. going to give birth and he basically 
Um, the taxi driver won't drive her because uh, he, she hasn't got any money. So he hijacks the taxi and drives her to the hospital. Jonathan but Morris like, hijacks yeah, it. He basically takes uh, takes matters into his own hands. <laughs> and he's a, basically, he's a fucking superhero. I was going to say. That's he's tr- jumping over fences. He's kind of like running through the countryside to get to to get help. When he can't get any help, he takes the taxi. He drives her to the hospital himself. And then when they get to the hospital, it's like, no, let's no, bring through the beard. He pulls his beard off. Oh, <laughs> Oh, that, that's, that's nice. The I thing think, is, though, once you've realised you've been got you, don't you just not want to help anyone ever again in your whole life? Because you go, oh, is it going to be a camera no, if I put because that Jonathan Morris, Jonathan Morris looked like a fucking legend. Hmm. So you'd be helping people and you'd be disappointed that it wasn't a gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen that there's a one with Lionel Blair, which is worth watching? Because it has that thing where he's there now. <laughs> Lionel Blair! Lionel Blair when, uh, when uh, Bobby Devereaux. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Bobby in No, Bobby! That's horrific to watch now. He oh, could have died. The, um, the Lionel Blair gotcha is, is him in this farce, and Noel Edmonds keeps appearing and walking onto set of this farce while he's on stage. <laughs> oh, and I saw that, yeah. And what, what it is, it's all like you get the little corner box of. Lionel Blair in the in the present on Noel's house but he's laughing about it yeah. but on stage you look at his eyes and it's like he's a furious man Ooh. do you know what I mean it is like he's like trying to make a joke of it but, but you can see on stage he's like he's like he's, he's, ra- he's raging and you think <laughs> this isn't funny this is like almost like there's a side to Blair where you just think like Blair's Blair's got a dark so side. Blair is like doing a play in Bournemouth, and Noel Edmonds is in the audience and he's heckling him. Yeah, and that's how it starts, isn't it? And uh, and he keeps heckling him, and then uh, eventually Lionel Blair so stops breaks the, the play breaks the force, yeah. and he goes, "Do you mind, people?" And he's like, um, "Did the whole audience know? Were they getting pissed off all, as well?" Although the audience knew. Okay. All one of the it. things that they one of the things that they said was, "I mean, you were so professional about it," and you go. He stopped the play. Yeah, yeah. That's not that professional, is it? <laughs> yeah. Surely that's what front of house is for. I mean, yeah. maybe being professional wasn't jumping off and throttling him. And maybe there's a, there's a legitimate reason to be furious if you were him. Yeah. But it's just it just looks like when you see his face, you go, "Wow, look at you." Because that's the thing, if you're doing stand-up and you get a heckler, you can break out and you can deal with it and hopefully move on. If you're in a scripted play and someone's shouting it out, how else? How do you? But you get all those stories like that. It was was the one about Richard Griffiths. Uneasy lies the head that wears a crown. True. (laughs) Put that on a t-shirt. Very much so. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, How would you deal with it in a play? Because I think, but like you do, like you have those things with Richard Griffiths, someone's on their phone or someone's phone goes Mm. and he like, Rips, a, uh, rips him another arsehole to something and he go is that the right thing and then has to go back in the play and go anyway uneasy that <laughs> wears the crown <laughs> now turn your fucking phone off what's that is that is it Peter O'Toole there's an apocryphal story about Peter O'Toole meeting some friends in a pub and going oh there's a wonderful play you should come and watch it and they go and watch the play and they're sitting down and Peter O'Toole goes Oh, I'm meant to be in this, and he runs up on stage <laughs> and starts performing. <laughs> is, is that the it's something like that? It's Peter Till, yeah. There's one I think where he's doing like a there's like a Hamlet I think in the 80s, or maybe it's not Hamlet. Is this? It's a Shakespeare in the 80s, and it's got like quite a big cast for the time, and he does it, and it's meant to be really like bloody, and there's lots of mm. actual violence in it, and so the reviews for it are really terrible. Uh, but it's at the old Vic and he sort of brought in I think at the time I think the old Vic was going to get closed down and he basically does it to sort of revive the and and it's all like um, but the reviews for this play are terrible but it's already completely sold out because it's Pete Rotall and everyone wants to go and see it and in that it would be like uh, you'd have all the cast dressed in like um, 
in full kind of Shakespearean garb and uh, Peter O'Toole would just basically come from the pub so he'd be like doing it like trainers <laughs> and like tracky bottoms would come out and he's got like the tracky bottoms on with like but he'll have like um, he'll have like a, a, a like a soldier's kind of uh, crown thing on or something but he'd be like he'd have like minimal minimal costume but everyone else would be in like full on like uh, yeah, whole- period gear and it'd be like here he comes and he'd be walking out in his like t-shirt and trainers and doing a bit <laughs> it's a little bit toast of London that isn't it when you think about it <laughs> very much so. yeah. uh, good old Peter O'Toole we should uh, maybe do the game shall we uh, yes um, so Paul are we doing your game better than the other thing yeah yeah yeah, yeah. better or worse you did that on Please. your Cleveland's <laughs> I did I yeah so it's better or worse so this game we have to say whether the next person is better or worse than the person before based entirely on my own opinions okay beginning with Timothy Dalton okay okay so Timothy Dalton's a starting point he's a starting point Tim Roth is Tim Roth better or worse than Timothy Dalton oh, I'm going to say better I think he's worse, but he's quite a high card. Oh, okay. They're, well, they're both average cards. Mm. Uh, like six Tim Allen, better or worse than Tim Roth? Oh, I see worse. what he's done here. He is worse. Yeah. yeah. Tim, Tim Curry, better or worse than Tim Allen? Yeah, yeah. It's better. Better, yeah. yeah. Timmy Mallet, better or worse than Tim Curry? Worse. 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 Yeah. Tammy Wynette, better or worse than Timmy Mallet? I love the segue, better. by the way. Uh, yeah, I'm going to say better. She is better, yeah. Tommy Lee Jones, better or worse than Tammy Wynette? Better. Probably better. Mm, yeah, better, I guess, yeah. But, oh, Tommy Lee. Those, those are yeah, 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 yeah. Tommy Lee, better or worse than Tommy Lee Jones? Tommy Lee, who banged Palmer Anderson, Tommy. Uh, yeah. the, dr- um, the musician from Motley Crue. Who became famous with his disease <laughs> penis. Right, uh, worse. But worse, he is worse. Yeah, he is much worse. Jamie Lee Curtis, better or worse than Tommy better. Lee? Better. better. Jamie Foxx, better or worse than Jamie Lee worse. Curtis? Worse. Worse, yeah. yeah. That's it. That was, that was clear cut, I like that. Eight. Eight, well. That's all right. You've done all right there. I mean, I disagree with the early points, but it's a bit Doesn't matter it, it, exactly. Disagree. Doesn't matter. It's all subjective. I subjective. think, uh, it's, 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 I think what's difficult about the game is um, you want some answers uh, more than you want to win yeah yeah do you still throw Nicholas Lindhurst from time to time yeah yeah, yeah why not can, it's a good card yeah, yeah it is it's a, a wild card Nicholas Lindhurst I like that and it could be higher or lower depending on um, <laughs> where, who, who, who you've got who you're up against from, yeah from whatever angle well, he's a good he's a everyone. good medium yeah that's the same with everyone <laughs> yes that's true it no there's someone who is the worst <laughs> you could have the worst one yeah. Who's the worst? Who's the worst card, Elton John? Who's the worst person? Um, <laughs> in the, in the, who's the bottom who's card? Who's the worst card, Elton John? Elton John, yeah, I think so, Elton John. Um, um, <laughs> um, oh, right, so, um, just on that, um, did you ever play the Batman board game that came out when the first, when the Batman film came no. out? No! It was um, impenetrable. It was the most... Point. Was just like a snakes and ladders kind of simple no, thing. No, it was so difficult. Like there were so many rules, it was so complicated that you'd get it out on Christmas Day and then you'd put it back again. And you'd go, Fuck As well. a kid, I don't think we ever actually played Monopoly the way you're supposed to play it. No, I think ones. it's that thing where it's like it's sort of complicated, and you go, "Oh, can we just start now? Can we just start? so like setting up the board would be like an hour, and they'd be like, "Can we just like play what we think the game is?" Yeah, and we'd end up doing that. Well, there's, it, it's interesting. There's a book that talks about the history of board games. There's a whole chapter about Monopoly. It's a long story, but the basic gist is um, they keep trying to make the game shorter because one of the biggest complaints is it goes on forever and everyone yeah, gets yeah. angry so year by year they keep bringing out shorter or more concise versions like there's one called Cheater Monopoly now which you're encouraged to cheat provided you can get away with it and then they brought out Speed Monopoly do you know what that is? 
It's a gun loaded with fake money that you fire into the air and you get your friends to grab. It's 52 card pickup, but with a gun. That should be. And that should also be in the Crystal Maze game. Yeah, it probably basically is, isn't it? You grab another <laughs> bloody ticket. Is that real? Yes. Speed Monopoly. Speed Monopoly is a gun filled with money that you find there, and your friends grab for it like you a man. Get out on your show. But could you get your like a tax loss video? But could you? But surely there's a temptation to shoot your friends in the face. Yeah, because you could put playing cards <laughs> in it and literally cause damage. I mean, it's highly recommended. Lots of fun. You can see how desperate your family are. Quite fancy a, that's a money hor- gun. What a horrible! G- but that's that, that, but that, fundamentally, that's what the game's about. When, Monopoly, we, isn't when it? I filmed Loaded, there was an episode where I had a uh, gun that was filled with twenty or fifty pound notes. Yeah, that I, I had to fire in front in, in the audience, and you'd fire it, and you were shooting these fifty. They were fake, but fifty yeah. pound notes into the audience. People were like grabbing it, and I tell you what, you never feel more powerful. It was so exciting. Yeah, it's so exciting. Yeah. Um, Paul, thanks for coming in. Thank, Thank you, you very much so for having much. me on. It was Cheers. lovely to have you as a guest. Um, and, uh, uh, your podcast sounds really great, and uh, I'm glad that it's working. Thank you. you. Um, right, we've got we've got Ghostbusters by Pentatonix, or we've got Army by Ben Fold. Army by Ben Fold Five is the one. Let's do that. Right. Well, I thought about the army dancing, son. You're fucking high. You've been listening to a FUBAR Radio podcast. For more information, go to FUBARradio.com.